Hello, everybody, and welcome to another interseason episode of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers-Ward, and joining me, also as always, it's Matthew Stogden. Hey, Tim. Who is this guy? Sequelizer Jack. And who the hell is Sequelizer Jack? He's a sequelizer. You're not wrong. <laughs> In a way, I'm the newest sequelizer, because I haven't, I haven't been sequelizing as long as you two, but That I'm is here. eerily accurate. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just host for so many years, but now all three of us are sequelizing. And speaking of three of us, the third man of the sequelizers, it's Tim Matum. I don't even have any good skills. You know, like nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills, computer hacking skills. Sequelizers only want boyfriends who have great skills. It's true. If you want to be one of our boyfriends, you're going to have good skills. I think it's fair. That's just yeah. a fact. <laughs> <laughs> there is no fucking way if if and i know we always see it's like oh who does this but like if the podcast has just started auto playing in your player or you're in your car and you've not really seen the title good luck getting what this episode is about from that <laughs> either of those quotes i don't think you'll get it either way because of course this is the end season anything goes and this is in fact an executive producer pick as well so even more so of anything goes we can go off in mad mental directions like we've done an episode on Dotty Yen we've done most recently we did a episode on cliffhangers where we sequelized our own sequels and it was a whole thing because an executive producer told us to and this week we are talking about stunts the history of stunts some of our favorite stunts some notable stunts and that was picked by one of our executive producers on patreon.com slash sequelizers and if you'd like to go to patreon.com slash sequelizers, you can get ad-free access to all the episodes. You can get early access to all the episodes. You can get exclusive merch, discounts on merch, exclusive entire bonus episodes during the end season, and exclusive outtakes and commentaries during the main seasons as well. There's loads of bonus stuff. There's, I think we, talk, we did some calculations a little while ago. There's like hundreds of hours of bonus stuff when you add up all the outtakes, all the commentaries, all the bonus interseason stuff. You're getting bang for your buck. For just £10 a month, you get a lot of bonus stuff. And you actually get access to the archive of all the stuff as well. So I know some people who have subscribed recently are going back and listening to all of the previous commentaries mm-hmm. and outtakes and all that kind of stuff. So some of it is still relevant. We're in the middle of our summer movie draft for for uh, a next couple of months or so. I think it wraps up at about mm-hmm. September time, I think, I believe. Start of September, yes. Start of September. Thank you, Tim. So yeah, if you want to learn more about that and what that is and how that works, patreon.com slash sequelizers is the place to go. And if you go to the highest of the tiers, you can also become an executive producer like these fine folks have done. Hey, you're a real blue flame special, aren't you, son? Young, dumb, and full of calm. I know. Jonathan Firth-Clark. He was the only one who knew I was going to Gascoigne's apartment. And if I knew he was going to call the police, I would have worn a different outfit. Josh Miles. He missed! James McDowell. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Hyper Dude Man. Uh, guys, we gotta come up with another plan. They got a tank. 
I'm sorry. Did somebody just say a tank? Josh van der Sluis. What are you waiting for? I'm jumping out a window. What do you mean you're jumping out of a... Oh, sorry. I had it in 2D. Good luck. Marcus Lindstrom. Dobby, I got me a regular Ben Hur down here. Doing 95 minimum. Need any help, JW? Hell no. Philip Morgan. Looking a little run down there, John. Ernest, I still have time. It's almost up. Who's gonna know the difference? You sure this is what you wanna do? 14 million, it's a lot of money. Not if you can't spend it. Stuart Main. Please! I said I don't want trouble. That's bad for you. And the executive producer who has picked this week's topic of stunts. It's Xenos. I'm Steve O, and this is the Pooh Cocktail Supreme. <laughs> All right. Good luck. Thank you, as always, for your support, executive producers. You make this interseason possible. You make the main season possible. You make the show free for everyone else around the world listening on podcast services and podcast apps of their choice. And yeah. It's an interesting topic. Something I feel like we've we've touched on a couple of times. We've really kind of, especially we, as I mentioned, we kind of touched on it on some bonus stuff. Uh, we talked about Jackie Chan's career and talked about some of the stunts when we did the outtakes for our Shanghai Nights episode. We touched on a few stunts when we talked about Donnie Yen last in season. As I said, another executive producer pick. But I'm very interested to dive into the history of stunts in cinema how they've evolved, where they are now in 2022, some of the kind of unsung heroes of cinema in many ways, because in so many forms, the, you know, the top build actor will get credit right, but the stuntmen and stunt women of the industry just do not get enough credit. There's been a big push for them to get Oscars and stuff recently, I think entirely rightly deserved. I think we can unanimously yeah, agree on that for sure. It's a fascinating topic to dive into. I'm I'm very excited to talk about this. This is something I've been thinking about as an in-season topic for a while, and I'm excited we finally get to talk about it. This this is a thing that's going to rile a lot of people, probably, but tough. Stunt work is very likely one of the most underrated aspects of contemporary cinema making. Yeah. Uh, in the sense that, obviously, of course, there are so many um, teams and departments within movie making in general that are uh, vital and uh, less than appreciated, less appreciated than they should be, um, and deserve more of a platform, more of a pay, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Of course, of course, of course, and absolutely. But stunt people have been around before sound in films. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's a weird like, sentence, but you're totally right. Yeah, and in in a strange way, stunt stuff. Uh, you know, we'll get to origins in a minute from from here. So, stunts have been around before cameras so <laughs> in yeah, a weird way yeah. it's it's kind of the thing whereby you know such a rich and uh evolving history which we'll go through in a minute um of, of this entire industry and yet can you think as and i don't mean someone who's passionate about film who has been behind the scenes on a lot of things and seen a lot of these extra features have you seen any time where a um stunt person who has not suddenly become an actor has been interviewed on TV or down a red carpet or something. It's usually, you know, stuntman turned director, stuntman turned actor, actress, whatever it happens to be. 
it's never when uh, and it, maybe behind the scenes you get like we're, we're doing a really important amazing shot on this uh film it's gonna be fantastic and they're describing that you got a big 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 set behind them and cameras and wires and they go right they're gonna crash through here it's all gonna happen it's gonna be amazing we're playing this for three weeks um it's gonna be, it's gonna be exciting and you go talk to some, some stunt person just go yeah yeah good to go put his thumbs up and he's dressed like batman basically think oh no, it's batman <laughs> oh no it's, it's not a cosplay batman it's the stunt man okay cool and then it's like okay back, back, background motion and action and then you see someone like almost like recording on a phone style like you know very very gorilla the background is the other is the behind the scenes footage being taken and you see lots of sparks and explosions and fire and someone going on a wire or someone on a wire being whipped through a load of stuff and then cameras flying by and then it goes cut 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 and it goes check someone's okay and that's it that's the job not yeah. dying <laughs> basically <laughs> and it's like it's it's so insane how that it gets a couple of seconds in a documentary or a making of or an interview and then you go back to the person again who was dressed as batman and he goes whew Someone had their witty bix this morning and they bugger off. That's it. That's, that's all we tend to hear about. That's an actual Batman Begins one, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what he I, says. I recognize that reference, yeah, from yeah. The behind the scenes and on I the was DVD. Like, that, that's all we're saying about this, not the planning, not the thing that's behind it, not the, how the people on the set, the people are calling action and things like that, the people checking the thing. It's not usually the main DP. It's not usually the director. It's like our own mini film is being made for this thing. I, it's, it's fascinating. And, and as I say, hideously, hideously underappreciated. Mm. And on top of everything else, these are the people who, barring everything else, are most at risk of dying on the film mm-hmm. set. Uh, and there is a sadly tragic history of stunt people dying less and less nowadays, thankfully, but it still happens, of stunts going wrong and people dying in, in the process of it or getting injured, you know, and a lot of stunts, stunt people go for, have that kind of career path where they start out as stunt performers and then they go into coordination direction and stuff because their bodies can only take so much for so long um restless <laughs> yeah and but you develop this expertise you develop this sense this rhythm especially people like fight choreographers rhythm is so important there and and just a, a behind the scenes knowledge because like matt says very often it's second unit it's third unit that's doing this stuff and the stunt coordinators are basically directors in their own right because they have a sense of like no that's not practical you need to put the camera here because it will get the best angle on what's happening and we can pad these certain other areas or their costume will be padded so if you put it down here you won't catch any of that padding and it will look best and so it makes sense and i think we're we're kind of in a a slightly golden age of stunt coordinators and stunt directors becoming full-blown directors coming from the like the 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 john wick i think it's increasingly recognized by people that because we're in an an age where there's so much cgi if you want a film that feels grounded and realistic and like the stunts are actually happening a lot of the time those are the people to look to because that's where their expertise lies and so there's this kind of little uh sub-genre of action films that really pride themselves on doing grounded stunt work yeah Um, absolutely before we get to the history side of things sticking mm. with that modern stuff tim i think that's great like like you said people like sam hargrave people like chad stahelski who do john wick and um Mm. have worked on like mandalorian and all this kind of stuff they've gone from being coordinators and stunt actors themselves coming through to now being full directors and now working with their own stunt teams and oh yeah i've worked with these guys for 20 years i trust them with my life all that kind of stuff and we give so much credit to so many of the like 
one better phrase, the the full actors who do their own stunts. Like, oh my god, I can't believe this guy did his own stunts. Like, you know, people do that for a living, right? And we don't give credit to them enough. Like, mm-hmm. I can't believe Chris Evans did his own stunt in Captain America. Where I was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but his stunt double did that 1,500 times. Like, mm. <laughs> he has done that for, like, decades and hundreds of times over and over and over again. And even if they did do it, there is also a stunt performer standing by who is ready just in case they can't do it at the speed required or they, you know, 100%. whatever. There's always going to be someone standing behind in full costume <laughs> ready to to pick it up in case they can't do it. Definitely. I think you touched on it very briefly. I know it was a little quip from you there, Matt, but talking about wrestlers, that links us very nicely to the origins of this sort of stuff, going back to Mm. the circuses and stuff. Even as you said, before cinema was a thing, you would have all these like, that. that is the origins of professional wrestling, like people doing this like fake fighting stuff that would entertain the masses. And you'd have people doing these crazy things, whether that's like catching cannonballs or being shot out of a cannon and all this kind of stuff that is just, yeah, you don't even think of as like, oh yeah, it's sunk as circus work. It's not stunts. It's, you know, it's trapeze or whatever. Like that's the same shit. Like that, that, those are incredible mm. feats of athleticism and coordination and choreography and stuff. And the same, like the principles of it are still true a hundred plus years later now in 2022, when you're got a guy diving out of a window on a high wire or falling out of a thing or, setting themselves on fire i've seen the behind the scenes of people setting themselves on fire that melts my brain no pun intended mm. every single time it's fascinating to me how like you said tim we we're kind of coming back around to that a lot now we were in a very like we, we've talked about the late 90s early 2000s a lot and its reliance on cgi and it's mm. not good and now we're coming back around to this kind of john wick kind of subgenre of action movies mm. where you want that grounded realism, right? And you you can see, oh, that guy actually fell off and hit the thing. And mm. if you know, maybe you can tell that the that that little tile he landed on in the bath that's probably made of polystyrene. But mm. in in the midst of all the action, you will never notice that in a millionaire's. Oh, like his the back of his jacket is surprisingly thick. That's weird. Mm. You you can notice that very occasionally. And if I have it like pointed out for me on like youtube compilations or what the corridor crew guy does with uh yeah. they have their like stuntman react to stuff which is their yeah. stunt version of the cgi and and um the effects artists react to they have their stuntmen react to which is fascinating as well having people like uh gear and uh scott adkins on there and stuff like that these like legendary mm. oh yeah by the way i'm black panther whenever you see black panther doing backflips that's me motherfucker like <laughs> it's amazing like te- them getting to tell stories about working with Chadwick Boseman and all these amazing actors throughout the years and things like that. It's a fascinating side that we don't get exposed enough. And the fact that it has its origins so early on predating cinema is just, yeah, it's fascinating to me. Mm. The one that I always think of in terms of that kind of illusion uh, is Mission Impossible Fallout, where they Mm. have that brutal fight in the bathroom. Bathroom, Um, yeah. And... uh, you know, you, you just look at it in the thing and you just think, well, that's just a bathroom. And then you can actually at certain points see uh, Tom Cruise is like kneeling on the side of the tiles and the tiles are dipping down because it's all padded up. Like it's yep. all and and the, the, the production design and the and the working with the stunt coordination team and everything like that there is like flawless because and there's possibly some CGI, you know, going in as well and stuff like that. But 
it, it, it just looks like a regular bathroom, but the whole thing is padded up so that they can throw each other around completely in there and <laughs> walk away relatively unhurt. Um, yeah. It's it's incredible stuff. Uh, and I think, you know, as much as we kind of, I don't think we really shit on CGI, but we, you know, we trumpet practical events, uh, practical effects are so, you know, kind of uh, so much more adding a sense of verisimilitude to, to a, a film. But there's great things that you can do with just kind of CGI, whether that's hiding wires or whether it is like these things that you can't create any other yeah. way. But when they work together so well, right? Yeah, yeah, combining it with practical stunt work just roots you in that so much more. Um, and yeah, there's there's some fantastic films out there that are using huge, incredible CGI, but combining it with practical stunt work and and kind of more grounded filmmaking to to produce some truly incredible stuff yeah because at the end of the day these are all tools in your arsenal um mm. when you when you're making a movie you have so much at your disposal the choice if, if you have the kind of money that you can do so much stuff you have the time to prepare for these things if you're batman basically with time and preparation <laughs> and money um you can you can use all of these things to your advantage um to produce something amazing but with cgi especially it's like and we'll get we will definitely come to this later the idea of the introduction of the cgi stuntman is like we'll save some of your lives it's like yes this is true but what are you basing your data and information off because technically you could use, you could use a chisel to to hammer something in but you fucking shouldn't but you have a <laughs> hammer right there and say like, mm. oh yeah but we thought the hammer might be quite dangerous and say like, yeah a chisel might carve something open it's like oh yeah, good point there's all kinds of reasons you have these things. I mean, th weirdly enough, there's... Um, <laughs> but Matt, the chisel is non-union. We can get away with paying it so much less. Yeah. Mm. It only cuts my hand. It's not a problem. And my hand is, you know, <laughs> is money. Um, I got, I've got money for bills. Um, no, but uh, there's actually a, a sketch uh, by Mitchell and Webb, two, two British comedians, uh, which was a good 10 years ago, I want to say. And it's just like, oh, we're planning this thing for this particular shoot. And we've got um, so-and-so from the stunt team here. Hello, everybody. Hi, hi. And basically goes says, right, okay. So, uh, have you found anyone to um, uh, for for the horse scene yet? Yeah. No, I was reading that bit in the script. Actually, you want someone to fall off a horse? We can't have the actor doing it. Yeah. Oh, you're serious? Like, yes. You want someone to fall off a horse? Have you found anyone? No. Why would I? I assume if I ask someone, do you want to fall off a horse, which is incredibly dangerous? They'd say, <laughs> people, no, I don't want to fall off, a falling horse. off horses yeah. all the time. Do you know what happened to the fucking Superman? christopher reeve um <laughs> but it's it's like we we have this sort of um whole attitude of oh yeah stunt people it's fine and the whole point of the stunt industry is why cgi for example again tibbs right we shit on it at times sometimes it's perfect but you can't cgi is still a tool you can use uh so a lock-off shot for example you can combine something that is still a a, a stunt with something incredibly dangerous so i think atomic blonde is what comes to mind but there's one bit where the stunt dude is hit by a car and he bounces into a parked truck and falls on the floor. And the lock-off shot idea is the camera's like I've done this in Super Happy Kill Time a lot. The camera's still, the camera rolls, you film one thing and then you film another thing and you composite the two on top of each other. It's quite straightforward, all things considered. Um, and the idea is you have uh, the guy walks out, gets hit by a car, bounces up, hits the truck, falls down. The bouncing and hitting the truck bit is what's called a dead man pull. Uh, maybe in a winch pull sometimes, I think it's called. Or, or no, ratchet pull, a ratchet pull. And the idea is they're on a rope or a wire and they're walking normally and all the stunts can go, ready, three, two, one, and yank the <laughs> wire. And you go, literally, he goes up and sideways into the side of this van and falls on the floor. 
and that is real and as such you know he's he everything about his movement everybody he twists himself every way about that he lands it's much like when jack and i were learning how to do wrestling in a weird way um for his stag do you learn how to fall properly so you don't make real fucking damage and hurt yourself but then the camera's still rolling effectively and you do the lock shot do it again where a car screeches into shot and breaks just about where the actor was standing in a separate plate so what you can pair them up with is he gets hit by the car you do a bit of cgi touch them up to make the car look like it's been dented or rumpled whatever it happens to be and it's like, yeah, you are using all of these tools to make an impressive thing. But there is still a man at the end of the day or a person, an individual on a rope being like, right, ready? And pull him real quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and what frustrates me is sometimes you'll see really impressive, amazing stunts and the director or producer, whoever happens to be behind the scenes, go, mm, it's not quite right. And they keep tinkering with it until everything looks CGI. There are so many interesting shots in Miss Marvel with stunt people. Miss Marvel. Captain Marvel. Uh, with stunt people in fact all the mcu and the stunt people are so heavily cgi'd afterwards that it's like that's oh, probably just a cgi scene probably not a real person it's like no 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 they twisted brie larson like that it's like really yeah and the body double had to do this oh i thought it was all fake i know because it's not grounded it doesn't feel real there's things that doesn't look like it's a normal thing so it's a weird evolving industry but i feel like much like you know motion capture and other bits and pieces and and hair and makeup, everything still has to have that human element in it. Mm. Um, it still has that, and again, that comes from a level of respect, which I don't think they have afforded to them. Which again, if we go back to the history, just to get us through things again, uh, and back on back onto our, our our timeline, as it were, it comes from, as Jack said, you know, circus and and other bits and pieces, and 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 and, and the uh, the frontier stuff. But more importantly, for publicity, these things were done for free. It's it's been an unpaid thing for a long ass time. So you know, if there is an inherent uh, tradition, shall we say, of fucking people over, there's a film that Tim and I love called The Fall, and the whole thing is about a stuntman in the silent era, and the stunt goes wrong, and he's in he's bedbound in hospital, and he gets suicidal because, well, if he can't do that, what can he do? And his life is ruined. It's 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 an insane mindset. It's the same insane calling for someone to get involved in that industry, and and they can produce things that go by in a heartbeat. It, 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 yeah, it baffles me how it's not given. We talk about Jackie Chan. The idea you say, show me that four times, and then another ten in the credits because mm. someone nearly died making this. And there's an old Paul Newman line saying to Robert Redford, "We say I want to do my own stunts. I want to do my own stunts. I want, I'm I'm young. I want to do my stunts." And Paul Newman saying, "It's just a movie, kid." <laughs> You've got a whole career ahead of you being an amazing, amazing person, a cool <laughs> actor. Fuck yourself. Uh, I want to jump on the train, jump on train, barrel roll off, kill yourself, or, you know, that's stupid. Yeah, so just to kind of go through some of the, the history um, for people who, who aren't aware of it. Like we said, it came, comes from kind of traveling circus performers and entertainers of, of various kinds. Um, has its origins sort of back in, in, in those days, pre-cinema. Um, there was a, a term called uh, a cascadeur uh, in French, um, which comes from the word for waterfall, with the idea that you're falling mm. down, hitting things, essentially, right, yeah. um, which then kind of transferred over into German and Dutch circuses as well. Um, yeah, with basically the idea of it was a specific kind of acrobat who would pretend that things had gone wrong or their their job was to, you know, fall from great heights and you know bounce off of a thing um and the the term stunt was first kind of widely adopted in in 19th century vaudeville shows in in kind of north america and europe 
um, including stuff like Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, when, you know, you had this, uh, the frontier in America was kind of closing off at that time. You know, most of these areas were, um, had now been kind of colonized by, by white settlers. Um, but the idea of the West was still very romanticized, particularly back East. And you would have these kind of cowboy tours that would go around and would do these riding and shooting and various stunt work. Uh, and in fact, the kind of the closing of the frontier combined with the end of the Spanish-American War was how you had so many stunt performers in early cinema who were doing it for free. You know, there was this idea of like, oh, it's this new technology, there's all this publicity, and you have a, essentially a big pool of stupid young men who uh, are in some way t trained to take some kind of punishment. And so, yeah, the, you just wouldn't get paid for stunts. People would just be like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, ju I'll mm -hmm. jump off that cliff into that pool, uh, you know, just to just to show I can. The first kind of dedicated stunt performers would come around sometime between 1903 and 1910. It's not quite clear. Um, 1903, you have The Great Train Robbery, which is like a, a kind of proto-Western film and kind of notable for its stunt work. It gets up a lot for a lot of reasons. It's one of those. It's yeah. got a lot of firsts attached to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, nineteen oh eight. You have the Count of Monte Cristo, an adaptation, um, which has, I believe, it's like the first person who was he was paid like five dollars to jump backwards into a pool of water or something like that. Um, and so you had these kind of action things, and and obviously this is very early cinema. A lot of these would just be shorts of just like, hey, look at this guy fall off this thing. Um, mm -hmm. and then in the kind of tens and twenties, it, you got a lot of stunt work in comedy films kind of supported by this, you know, the, the, the decrease in kind of rodeos and stuff like that. And you would have a lot of people from clowning backgrounds or from rodeo backgrounds coming across to work in early Hollywood and, and, and various film shoots. Like early um, for, slapstick comedy stuff, right? Exactly. And that's where you get your, your Harold Lloyd's, your... Buster Keaton's, your mm. Charlie Chaplin's, which were these, you know, absolute trailblazers in terms of stunt work, in terms of direction, um, and in terms of uh, of comedy. And even now, it's interesting because those names, uh, like literally Tim Blake, Harold Lloyd, Buster Keaton, and, and and Charlie Chaplin, especially, they're not just pioneers and icons of silent movie. They're they're very physical performers because again. To, to remind you, with silent movies specifically, everything is so evocative, so over the top, and so um, heightened because you're compensating for a sense being not there, basically. Um, you know, it, it, in the same way that we can't smell movies. So when you smell something disgusting, but in films like, oh, oh my God, it's so stinky, because you have to somehow sell to the audience that this is a smelly thing, and then the sound, the music, everything has to go like, I can't tell it's smelling, but it's pretty fucking revile. If there's no sound, you have to sell a lot in your face to make it show that you are happy, you're sad, you're shouting. You're, no, you know, it's it's almost like when you draw something, um, that, you know, um, and on TikTok, there are different versions of like, this is a, a line delivery if it's a normal uh, performance, if it's a Pixar performance, if it's a stop motion, because you're trying to show the how people's hand motions and head motions are a little exaggerated because of that's how you're puppeteering this, this thing rather than just the lips moving a little bit. Um, and the same is true for these movies without sound. You're trying to just give the impression of. 
So they're already very physical people. And then they're introducing like really cool ideas because I mean, Tim, Tim kind of very much key wording there, although a different reason that frontier wild west. Yes. Okay. That's true for like, you know, rodeo clowns and all that kind of thing, but literally that's what early cinema was. It was so unregulated, so mad, so madcap and so hard to nail down exactly what was and wasn't viable. It was only what sold at the end of the day, what was successful. So, um, finding what the structure of a film was which about like you know origins of theater and following that and like vaudeville does the same thing you know it was capturing the whole world they're doing it here we'll do slapstick and slapstick is easy to sell because although i can't tell a joke as easily in you know uh with intertitles telling me what the person's saying in a very reduced fashion i can tell when someone falls over because a woman's turned around with a big bunch of flowers and whapped him in the face <laughs> <laughs> that kind of shit you know and but it's like but it's not enough just to fall over that looks too realistic I want him to fall like a plank. I want him to be like completely straightened up and then he bounces on his head and goes completely over through a window. It's like, what in the fuck are you talking about? And it's like that level of eccentricity. And it's like, well, how can we do this in a way that the theatre can't? It's, that's the one-upmanship of this industry, right? That's how it always has been. What can, what's the new thing we can offer that the people haven't seen before? It's the fucking 20s. Money's tight. The, you know, uh, oh, sorry, mm. the 20s wasn't specific because it was the roaring 20s, but when it got to the 30s, you had to do something to be people in there because obviously uh, recessions and obviously the, the Great Depression. But ultimately, um, people wanted to laugh. People wanted to be shocked and amazed. Um, and so you'd say, well, what if it was the side of a building? It's like, well, what, what, how's that different from this? Like, well, the theater, you could only see that if you were at the building. If you're here, you could literally take a camera up to the top of a building. And nobody would think, well, shouldn't we like do a thing where it looks like it's top of the building? Why would we do that? We'll just go to the garden top of the UK did that yeah. joke. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. I'll get top of the building. No problem at all. <laughs> I just had a quick old bit of my courage juice. I think that's It's like fucking hell. Um, but also with regards to again, Harry Lloyd and uh Chad Chaplin and 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 Buster Keaton. These fuckers were we talk about and, and I'm glad Jack didn't say the word just. You know, just uh, you know, uh, 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 someone who's just a stuntman becoming a director because that implies one industry as the other thing. No, not but, at all. Exactly. And so the idea is here: you forget that when Chaplin was writing his stuff and editing and directing his stuff, he had stunts in his head. Um, he's like, "We're going to build to this." He had that industry down. He knew what he was doing. And like, it's like musical people. If you write and direct musicals, you know what you want to do visually, and it's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of of of, of uh, orientating how you look at a scene. It's why a lot of musicals don't work in film because you're like, something's not right here. And they get someone who has either seen what someone else has done in the past very well or done something new. And you think, this feels right. You're not just using standard film logic to show this thing. You're pulling the camera back and seeing all these dances and let them just, let them just run with it. You know, um, Tim, I know very much um, liked West Side Story from what Spielberg would, would, would mm. do with that. And um, some of the dance sequences is in RRR. And obviously a lot of Bollywood things. Same thing where it's like, holy shit. And it's the same of, 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 of the silent movie era stunts. You'd have people like, oh, it's, let's just have them, you know, the, the, just the stunt guy. Let's have them do this. And it's like, who's the stunt person in question? Oh, it's me, the main character and <laughs> the director and the writer. It's like, what are you fucking talking about? It's like, that's remarkably dangerous. It's like, yeah, but people expect it of me. They want to see my face and yeah. I want to do it. And if I die, it's my film. So I'm just going to do it anyway. So, and it feels like that sort of independent mindset of like, you know, when you're a couple of mates at a camera, it's like, we don't have a crazy friend, Roy, who's going to jump out of a thing and he's like, he's indestructible. You tend to go, <clears throat> we've got this one guy, he's a friend, he does some stuff and he wants to be in this film. Oh, great. Uh, we need to have a scene where you could probably fall down. Don't, don't, don't do that. Oh, I could do it. I could do it. How many, how many times do I have to do it? Probably just the once. Yeah, okay, we go. 
<laughs> and it starts out like that. And that's how the industry started saying, what do we need? Okay, we'll get these people in this other industry, like with the, doing the rodeo stuff, who like can do, um, I can't remember that one move is called. It's very, very dangerous. It's been done a lot over the sort of 30s and 40s. And it was in the 20s as well. When you have horses, you are trying to ride two horses standing up one foot oh, on either yeah. back. Yeah. And it's a very, very dangerous thing. And then you have ones where, what if they were both chariots? What if they were both like, ooh, what if it was both stagecoaches? Okay. What if there were like eight horses on each one, right? And the front horses is where the dude is, right? And so if he falls off, he's going to get trampled by 16 horses. It's like, <laughs> whose idea is this? Me, the director. <laughs> it's like, you are an insane motherfucker. You are absolutely insane. And so it's, it's such a strange time as well and it was also quite equal in the sense that it's one of those industries where we talk about uh the risk the reward and the prestige and because there's no prestige arguably because there's very little reward and there's infinite amounts of risk there are times where women and men are kind of aligned in their expectations like i need you to fall out this window oh shit well not her she's a lady it's like the lady falls out the window get <laughs> the lady you obviously have sometimes dudes and stunts i mean kids for example you have like oh a very slight person saying like, oh, here's the stunts. Like, yeah. I always love seeing like an old 70s or 80s film where you see like cuts away from a motorbike or something and you cut to a contemporary, you know, because they didn't bother with the CGI's. You have to take the camera's far away enough. The audience won't notice. We pause now because we have like, you know, the ability to watch home. It's like, who's that fucking 40 year old man in a wig? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was, it was amazingly crazy era for, for making stuff. Some of those stunts are still, as we'll come back to later, not only the most intense, mind-blowing things, but the most dangerous stuff you can think of, and almost none of them have a credit. Some of them are literally, boof, Buster fucking Keaton. It's my movie. I'm on the front of a train. What do you mean? They literally just tied me to the front of a train. and we was, That sounds incredibly <laughs> stupid. We'll make it the poster, because it's really dangerous. And yeah, and that's back also when the universe, uh, sorry, United Artists, when these people owned that studio so who's yeah. gonna shut them down them fuck that the same thing is bringing in money so yeah crazy i think i don't necessarily say this in a way like crazy we need to get back to that because um <laughs> it's it's mostly one-upmanship of like i bet you can't do this i bet i can i bet you can't do this and hold this i bet i can i bet you can't do this and hold this and it's on fire i bet i can it's like, maybe fucking stop <laughs> just for five seconds death wish idiots <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sort of uh, Safety Last, which was a, a Harold Lloyd film, which is a very famous one. It's the one where he hangs from the clock. That Yeah. Mm. Um, That's what everyone knows Harold Lloyd for, I think, if you're not honest. Yeah. That was basically the first film that actually used pre-planning and, like, safety devices when yep. doing stunts. And that was 1923. So before that, they were just kind of winging it. They were just going like, okay, yeah, you you jump off this tower uh and you land on this bale of hay uh and we'll shoot it and it'll be <laughs> fine and if not we'll get someone else to do it whose legs aren't broken um <laughs> literally is that. but yeah you get you it's it's very interesting to kind of watch this evolution um through films where as we said like the kind of the 10s and the 20s there was a lot of this kind of clowning work almost um and then action really began to take off in the in the 20s and 30s you had a lot of swashbuckling films. There were kind of three different waves of those in the 20th, 20s, 30s, and 40s. Um, you had westerns kind of in the 
start of the 30s were very kind of like pulpy and then kind of slowly got more mm-hmm. acclaim um and you go up to stuff like the John Ford westerns um like Stagecoach um and uh Yakima Knut who was a very famous stuntman who did stuff like uh, I think it's in Stagecoach where he kind of as we said earlier goes under the stagecoach yeah. um and is dragged along by it and it's it's such an iconic stunt that people have probably seen it recreated in Indiana Jones um mm-hmm. which That's was basically what an, think of yeah yeah which yeah. was a whole which was basically an homage to this stunt from stagecoach mm-hmm. um and so yeah you have people doing different skills swashbuckling you have the whole sort of stage fighting and stage combat uh, aspect of stunt work westerns there's a lot of horse riding there's a lot of jumps and spills off of moving objects uh you know whether it's wagons or horses or whatever mm-hmm. trains um you get to the 50s and you get the, the the sword and sandals era stuff like 10 commandments and of course ben hur which has this iconic chariot race yeah. in it where there's a lot of urban legends about kind of oh four dozen people died and 12 horses yeah, got yeah. Yeah. crashed into each other. Like a lot of that is overblown, but also a lot of it is also true. Um, it was this incredibly yeah. complex uh, stunt sequence. Um, and then you get to the sixties and you get a lot of new innovations. Um, and it's interesting trying to kind of tracking how technology has helped stunt work as well. I think it was in the thirties where they invented a new kind of, stirrup for a horse that basically meant you could fall off a horse without the worry of getting tangled up in the stirrups Mm -hmm. Mm. um and so it was a lot easier to do falls off of horses and that little innovation like meant that okay now in every film we want someone to fall off a horse kind of thing um and you get to the 60s running through the the a canyon and then and someone goes off the thing you say yes everything is done because the horse been taught to fall off uh, as it to, to 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 buck effectively and as Tim said, there's now a safety aspect where it's like, well, they can fall now. It's like, still a long way to fall, but you can, yeah, it's, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, you get to the 60s and you get stuff like uh, air cannons and rams being invented, which you can use to effectively simulate an explosion. Um, you get squibs being invented, which people use mm-hmm. to kind of simulate a gunshot uh, and pneumatic pistons that can mean you can actually take a car and flip it. Um, and these all obviously lead to this kind of new wave of stunts in, in the sixties. And obviously you've had in this whole period, um, you've had war films coming along, you know, kind of from the, the, the forties onwards, um, that have a whole different kind of stunt, you know, energy to them. Late fifties, you have Thunder Road in 1958, which basically begins the era of the car chase movie. Um, Mm. and, and yeah, kind of getting it more into what, people would think of as closer to modern day into the 70s you've got disaster movies you've got even more car chase movies and you've got the martial arts boom as well with with bruce lee and the people who followed up after him Mm. as well as the the kind of the birth of the blockbuster and and the new level of stunt work and and the integration of special effects that that brought into being yeah i think that's something Again, I'm, something I always kind of forget is also part of stunts, but stunt drivers, as you said, Tim, are that that era and the birth of car chase films and things like that. There are some crazy talented drivers that just basically crash cars for a living. Yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> and have things like the the protective. Anybody seen like Death Proof? Like a yeah. film about a stunt driver 
they have that like protective roll cage and stuff and like there's various different forms of like protecting the people inside the car or outside the car in some cases Mm -hmm. but the fact that people will do like the the classic barrel roll type thing and land on the roof of the car doing shit like that on purpose and being able to drive a car accurately enough to know oh yeah it's gonna do three flips and fall into this bit or Mm. when i crash into this thing it's gonna react in this way i find so fascinating that's a whole other skill set and i know some people do a bit of both there are some people that really focus on kind of the you know the stunt driving aspect of things and um i know so it's something we touched on a couple of times where it doesn't look real like shit that happens in like the fast and furious movies where Mm. there is as we've gotten further and further away from it being a movie about cars and being more a movie about <laughs> superheroes, essentially family, but also superheroes, it's like more and more CGI comes in and there's more and more kind of like they're in space, like, right. They're not, they're not yeah. actually in space, <laughs> but a lot of the car stuff is still real. And they still yeah. actually dropped cars out of the back of that, uh, like military carrier thing. And, all this crazy shit that the car swinging on the thing the the bank vault thing that's on the back of whatever yeah. they are like there is a guy inside that bank vault driving it that is not just a mm. bank vault being driven along mm. there is a stunt driver inside of there driving this massive box that it should not be driven but there is a little <laughs> there is a little steering wheel and a, and a chassis in there somewhere and he is driving for his dear life and I, like shit like that you Again, it's the kind of stuff like if it goes well, you don't even notice it. It's just like, oh yeah, that's just really cool driving. Take something like Baby Driver. I know quite a few people talked about that. The the initial car chase, we said like the first ten minutes is the best mm. ten minutes of that movie. And that like twisting, spinning thing that Yeah, I don't even know how to describe did. it. It's it's insane. Yeah. The so he like turns and spins around and also turns back again. And it's like essentially like slaloming and weaving in between various different bits. The actual driving is real. Some of the elements are CGI, so that mm. you know they they worked out what his turning the the stunt drivers what the turn was going to be, and then CGI around that kind of thing. We'll yeah. oh we'll add this in now because we know he's going like this and round it. But the fact that people me as a terrible driver, first of all, I can't even <laughs> understand how you can control a vehicle so accurately and with such finesse and such power. And same again with, you know, like we said, like martial arts and stuff like that. That's a whole other element of it. And and Matt, as you hinted at earlier, wrestling is stunts. Professional mm-hmm. wrestling is basically stunts. You and I on our stag do when uh, doing like learn to fall and you learn to like spread your arms out and land on your shoulders, tuck your chin, land on your shoulders, like do this whole thing. Stunt people do the exact same training or very similar training and learn how to fall safely. You learn to roll on one shoulder and duck around or oh if you're if you're doing a running and you're going to hit this thing you need to hit it with this side and not this side and make sure your fist is like this and not like this and all this kind of stuff there's subtle little techniques that just go again a lot of it is like editing as well like you if it's going well you probably don't notice it when you, when something is weird and you're like hold on i just saw the pistons inside that chariot <laughs> in gladiator like that's <laughs> not a that's not a gladiatorial chariot how dare they but I find that fascinating, like when you have the level of professionalism and skill that people have where it's so good you don't even notice it's happening. Like I had no idea somebody was driving that bank vault in Fast and Furious <laughs> until I saw the behind the scenes. I was like, 
Oh, of course there's somebody in there. They wouldn't actually <laughs> drag a big metal thing down the road. Of course they're not. I mean, he doesn't really have much control or view or anything, but yeah. a guy is actually controlling that as much as he can. Just blows my mind the skill of these people and how it's how so much how it's evolved over the last, as you said to me, over the last like 60, 70 years in terms of stunt drivers and things like that. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially nowadays. I kind of almost wish that there was like a a version that you could get. I mean, I know like Blu-rays of DVDs have died to death, but almost like a an overlay when you watch a film that just kind <laughs> of like points to things and goes, "That's real. That's real." Um, because because there's certain films because we're so used to CGI doing incredible things. I had the exact same reaction seeing Fast Five. There were certain things I knew were real. But then there were a lot of stuff, especially with that the, the, the safe at the end. I was like, well, I just assume that's CGI because they couldn't possibly do that. And then you watch the actual kind of behind the scenes footage and go, oh, my God, so much of this was done for like, obviously, a lot of augmentation, a lot more kind of debris getting thrown off of stuff and sparks and all that kind of jazz. But so much of it was done for real. And I think, you know, it, I, I kind of completely understand the mindset of the kind of Hong Kong action film where you show the stunt three times from three different angles. Because it's like, if we're going to do this for real, let's make sure the audience recognizes. Pay attention to their mm-hmm. shit, yeah. audience. Look at this. Um, it makes me think of uh, The Man with the Golden Gun um, mm. has a very famous car stunt in it where it, uh, the car goes off of a, a partially collapsed bridge and does a corkscrew turn and lands it. And this was in 1974, um, and they had to do it was one of the first stunts that used like computer simulations to mm. make sure that the car was, would be able to do that and to get the angles right and everything. And then in the fucking film, they put a slide whistle under it and it's like, don't, don't undercut the amazing bit of stunt work that has just happened with this ridiculous nah, sound. Silly. Effect. It's fine. I, kn- I know it's the Roger Moore ones, but Jesus Christ. I, I think that comes back to that origins again. If we're thinking of slapstick, we're thinking of comedy because people go, oh, Jesus Christ, someone's dead. It's like, yeah, don't worry, <laughs> folks. It's like, no, you want to build suspense. You're trying to build that. You're not just like, which thing seeing someone die. You know, it's, I, I think you're right. To be, it's, it's like, give it the, the, the room it needs. Elevate it with music and sound. Don't fucking go. Um, yeah <laughs> it's it's really stupid i mean weirdly enough to answer your question to there is kind of a thing so obviously with like obviously film school and stuff you will have people come in and explain like with big detail boards saying we did this we do this with this but i know vanity fair on youtube does a thing where they're like the vanity fair so-and-so breaks down a scene and yes, you get some people yeah. like just being fucking useless and awful but certain directors take this really seriously and very passionately and i love the fact that it's one of those things where they get the little marker pens on a screen like carving around things like right all this shading and bits that's all cgi replacement later this here this here you can barely see it that's a support beam that's the cables we hung everything off and if they know what they're doing it's really fascinating to see that sort of stuff but again it's relegated to a section of a section of a section of the internet it's not yeah. front and forward as part of the, well not often but if, front and forward if i remember correctly there is literally one for that scene for baby driver with edgar wright oh that doesn't surprise and, me at all yeah. and he, he draws like yeah oh yeah we came in and we added this truck but this one is actually real so when we came to do this thing that the driver who was playing baby would do this thing and blah 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 and like spin it around because i remember looking up that sort of stuff when I, we did I love the your edgar wright impression by the way jack yeah. you're welcome 
You're welcome. Um, when we did a live stream with uh, Reese Lippman, we talked about Edgar Wright movies. Like, I wanted to look into the behind the scenes stuff because I know Reese like Baby Driver and I don't like Baby Driver. So it's like, what is it? I just don't get Baby Driver. It's like, I totally, that scene is amazing and I appreciate so much of the stunt stuff that's happening. But yeah, it's it's fascinating going behind the scenes. I think, again, I shout them out every time. I've already mentioned them once. Corridor Crew do a fantastic job of getting in the actual people behind the visual effects, mm-hmm. behind the behind the stunt work as well. Um, there's some fascinating stuff. We're talking about like, oh, brilliant, yeah. And they, they kind of bring their favorite ones. So you'll get somebody like Scott Adkins, who has been a martial artist and stunt actor for like 30 plus years. And he'll come in mm-hmm. and be like, right, so this is why, why I became a stunt actor. This is the scene in you know drunken master and i watched this and this is why i'm sat here on this couch today doing this show with you guys and then he was like oh and this is so looks fine i dive out of this car dislocated my shoulder was in the hospital for three weeks and like or oh, i fell out of this bus and that guy nearly died that guy nearly died i managed to land correctly it's like <laughs> it's brilliant little moments like that they talk about their influences they go through their like history their best stunts their favorite stunts they bring some of their own picks into it as well and even some of the audience highlights of like wait, how the hell did they do that? I need someone to explain it. And they bring in these incredible stunt people to come and explain it. And it's essentially, it's interesting because that format is something we see all the fucking time with actors. Um, if you think about how often an actor has been sat down and say, tell me the, 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 the scene, the performance that you saw that got you into acting. This changed my life, right? It's this performance here, let me show you. And it's like, oh, you see how she just turns like that and, I can, I, and, and changes performance? fucking inside the actor's studio is all about that it's all it is and then saying here's this one thing i did this one stunt it's amazing you know uh blah 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 blah. it it just seems so unusual that there's finally a bit of a platform but it is an online one and it's a sort of it's not arguably from within inside the industry much like mythbusters being a visual and practical effects it's not from within the industry it's people working for so long saying i want to talk about this and everyone in the public going that's interesting and if you don't believe us, look at the view counts of things like corridor digital yeah and their videos um but it is it's a weird one uh because talking about like um you know being able to break these scenes down and seeing the stuff and seeing the detail that goes into it for what is literally a couple of seconds um there are certain films which do give the kind of time of day your bond films usually that'll but because it has a lot of like you know uh you know man with the golden gun being a great example but um a prime example weirdly enough is actually casino royale because uh they had the thing where Cars driving along and Vespers on the road, and then you know he he's driving really fast to get to her, and then swerves and they roll the car. I think at the time it had like a record for the most times a car had rolled. Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And it, it's it's things like that, for example, that are stunning and terrifying, and the audience knows when it's real. I just want to I want to segue into something else actually because um, from the whole the audience knows it real most of the time they do, and there are times when you don't even know it's real. That's, Hence the whole like Vanity Fair. It's great to show like this is real. This isn't. This is fake. This is a thing. This is a person. This is a double. This is behind someone's head. It's why we frame the camera here. Yada yada yada. So for example, in Jurassic Park, it's one I'm always amazed by because I remember when I learned about it as a kid, I went fuck off. And then I watched the footage. Mm-hmm. And went, oh my god! So the scene near the end of Jurassic Park where I know this Unix system and unlocking the doors and the phones and mm-hmm. then Unix system. Then uh, it's like phones are back on. And it's like, oh, well, that's work. Well, the phone's working. Great. Bring my grandchildren. And then the uh, raptors, I guess, get through the windows somehow. Don't get to see it. But they do. And they're like, we, they climb up into the air vents. And at one point, the raptors jumping up, trying to bite at, you know, the people of the mm-hmm. and, and they're jumping up. And Lex falls through. 
<clears throat> one of these ceiling tiles and has to climb up and uh the raptor jumps up and just about you know misses and did just get up in time so they're like mm-hmm. like you know a sprawling leg that you know like get it get it get the leg the leg and it's like ah, 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 very closely missed very good and i believe they shot it clean and then spielberg was like mm. or maybe one of the team came to my help which one is specifically but somebody said you know we could do this in cgi right what do you mean well the the the, the raptor's not real why don't we have the face of the stunt person replaced with the face of the actor. Like, ooh, ooh, because then you'll feel it's actually the kid. So they had to tell the stunt performer to work against everything in their system, because obviously when you're doing the stunt double days of the 80s, 90s, 70s, and these things, it's keep your face away from the camera. The camera's here. <laughs> Don't show them your face so I can see it's not you. Except in Terminator 2, where you can see those people on the bike are definitely not John Connor and the Terminator. <laughs> yeah. um, there, there's a few instances where you can definitely tell. Yeah. The logic is, it'll only be seen in the and cinema, and it'll be so far thing. away. And it's small. Yeah, yeah. the era before yeah. home video. Not even just home video, but high-definition home videos. Like, 4K nobody will like ever see this. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we can, pu- we can pause 4K and zoom in now, motherfuckers. It's like, oh no, they can see all the flaws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, it was better go by quickly. It's like, uh, you don't stop a film. Oh, I need a wee-wee, and I saw everything. But the point is that the stunt person was told do the exact same thing, do the thing that you fall through the grate, and then look up straight into the camera, basically. And say, oh, mm, I don't, okay. <laughs> and then what they do is they have a moment where they've got a, a face, and it is like a photograph, uh, which they kind of did in a really weird way in parts of Game of Death, where Bruce Lee's dead, and they got like sort of lookalikes, and they're using his face really clumsily on, it's, a, it's, it's not a very good fit, basically. But she looks up and goes, ah! But it's such a heartbeat, tiny flash thing that it's like it, it, you wouldn't even know it was not her until someone points out and go, oh, God, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that does. Oh, what the fuck? And so then you start saying, well, how else can we use CGI? And you get to hold. Well, I suppose we can remove the ropes and the strings. Yes. Yes. Great idea. So there's still personal risk and the thing that feels real. And the audience goes, oh, my God, that's terrifying. But the pistons in the car flipping it. We can remove those now. Um, there's one called a magic carpet which mm, um, they yeah. use in Underworld, for example, which is where you have a, 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 a pulley system or a car or something pulling a big old rug, <laughs> basically, or a, a stretch of fabric, or essentially, sort of. And on there is the actor running. And it's obviously like wires to keep them in place to make sure they don't fall off or something bad happens to them. So you can have the actor like, pretending to run on this actual travelator, like, you know, uh, surface. Mm. but being pulled along as well. So when you see it and you remove, remove with CGI the actual fake surface, they look like they're running like super speeds. They do a symbol, similar thing, but without the surface on a on a winch in things like, uh, well, quite a few things actually, but they used it in um, Infinity War when Cap's running, th- and Cap and Black Panther are both running through uh, mm. ahead of the army in Wakanda and you're like they they yeah. use it in Winter Soldier in the kind of the subway oh, the yes, the, yes yes yes, yes, yes. The chase yeah. when Bucky and is being chased by Black Panther who is being mm-hmm. chased by Cap yes and now audiences will go as I said about the whole this was building to the idea that audiences will go things like it's probably all CGI and you just go oh oh god that's kind of crushing because that's a fucking person running real fast in a dangerous situation it's like the car isn't real. I thought the car was this ring. The car's the only thing that isn't real. Like, yeah. oh, sorry. Um, so sometimes there are times where you, it, this would get to the rise of these, what's called CGI stuntman, but it's not or stunt performer. Not entirely accurate. Where you're just like, well, just composite the person in and have them do stuff. And I remember listening to the audio commentary of Blade 2. We Hell yeah. Blade 2. 
Hell was, yeah. Um, that, that classic 57% of Rotten Tomatoes. Don't even. Don't even. Injustice. And Guillermo del Toro is saying there's three shots he doesn't like. And he doesn't blame the artist. He just blames them either the time, the technology, and the limitations of the time. Mm. And it's just, he said, the, the stunt work of the of the Blade character by this um, CGI body double thing. I don't mm. know if it was mo-capped or not, but it looks fake. He said it looks too rubbery. It, really floaty yeah yeah is it the the fight with the um in the in front of the lights, the lights at the beginning like, exactly yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and the yeah it's real mortal combaty and floaty and just yeah. like yeah. oh they're like rubbery kind of there's not proper kind of gravity to them or finesse or anything yeah you can really tell i agree i love that divorced. movie as as, mm. as is well documented on this show but yeah you can definitely it feels tell. divorced from the performance we've just seen which is true of all stunt work you can you can train with a stunt person as long as you want. Um, you can tell when it's Lucy Lou and when um, someone else is backflipping out of there. And you're like, I mean, um, Naked Gun does this perfectly, where someone does these amazing acrobatic moves across a room, and then Leslie Nielsen steps and goes, oh, oh, with a gun <laughs> behind a chair. And you're like, he's an old man. No one's yeah. no one's believing this. This is clearly bullshit. But they did it in things like From Russia with Love, and most, in fact, most Bond films was like, we'll let the stuntman do the work, and then we'll have. Like uh, it's called a, what's it called? Um, a Texas switch. Yes, Texas yeah. switch. yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, where it's like the real actor is hiding somewhere, and then someone falls off a roof or out of something, and then jumps over something, and then the actor stands and goes, "Oh, just dust myself to, off." To stick with Edgar Wright and Tim's uh, little mention at the beginning, there, there's a brilliant one in Scott Pilgrim where uh, Kieran Culkin runs off camera, and a stuntman dives through the window. Is oh, yeah, that? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, he's uh, yeah. He's not here right now. And you've got uh, sorry. It's um, not Kieran Culkin. Uh, Michael Sarah. Thank you, Tim. It's Michael Sarah playing playing Scott, like running mm. across, out of shot, and then yeah, he's he's uh, just just left actually, and he's seen him mm. dive through that window, and that is a legit window dive. That tiny little like ventilation window. That yeah. is a real actual guy diving through there, and a real actual stunt. But of course, it's not Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah just runs slightly off camera and then just stops and then yeah. as you said matt they have that texas switch and the guy dressed in exactly the same clothes just runs across mm. the camera and dives through it's brilliant stuff it's so obvious so easy and you're like yeah of course that's how they did it that's hilarious simon mm. Pegg in uh sticking with with right simon Pegg in hot fuzz with the fences uh yes yeah and it's the whole he, he does the first, the first three one, yes. yeah 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 I don't, that's actually a good point that's that's a key point about the whole when, when a texas switch is done well I don't know how many he does before the stunt dude takes over. He so he does them all apart from the last it's one. I believe. Last Again, it's it, it, it's it's in the it's in the notes on a scene with ah, Edgar Wright for Vanity Fair. Play, he covers play. that exact scene and says, "Okay, there's a trampoline there, and this is Simon. Simon, right? He falls down. There's the stunt double. It's like it's okay, brilliant. That's good, so that's funny. Good, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to to the idea of kind of CGI. I remember when The Matrix Revolutions came out. And there was such don't a big we, buzz. Don't we all, Tim? Don't we all? <laughs> uh, about the idea of like, oh yeah, we've 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 created a CGI stuntman yeah. for Leo, um, and it's oh, virtually yeah, indistinguishable. Um, and obviously, that's in the kind of <laughs> the burly brawl and a few other scenes. Um, yeah. And I mean, if you go back to it, knowing where we were with technology, it's incredibly impressive. It's very oh, sure. obvious nowadays, um, especially. And even then, you could easily tell when the CGI oh, thing yeah. had taken over because it was moving in ways that no human possibly could. Uh, you move like one of them. Uh, but, um... <laughs> and so does your coat, apparently. <laughs> yeah. 
It seems but to I suck think, your legs at times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's the the kind of thing of you that's 20 years ago now. And oh God. Yeah. We're old. Jesus. Uh the mm. level of technology has got to a place where you can pretty much replace those things and not have people notice. But like we said, I think there's even if it's subconscious, um, there is a level of people understanding. And I think there's also you know, one thing we haven't really touched on is how these films are marketed using stunts. Mm, and yeah, as much true. as, say, an MCU film may have some really impressive stunts in it, it's very rare that they make a big hullabaloo about them because there's so much CGI involved and, the, and they're so precious about showing behind-the-scenes stuff that you never really get a good look at it. Whereas you take something like uh, Mission Impossible and they can't wait to show you behind-the-scenes stuff because it's true. anything Tom Cruise does, it's, basically. It's like, essentially the whole marketing yeah. of that film now is, hey, we do this stuff for real. And there's plenty of other films that are doing, you know, maybe not stunts of an equivalent level because they haven't got Tom Cruise and his money behind them going, the insurance company won't insure us. I'll buy an insurance company. Um, again, but they've back to Harold Lloyd again. It's the whole, yeah, going to do? It's yeah. like, no, no, run by me, motherfucker. <laughs> But yeah, who's going to say no to Tom Cruise? Yeah, there are there are plenty of stunt sequences yeah, yeah. out there that are very impressive. But it's a question of how much do you actually stop people and go, "Hey, hey, look at this. This part's real." Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think there's definitely there's probably stuff in the MCU that we don't appreciate enough because it's there's chunks of it that are CGI. There's chunks, you know, the background is CGI and stuff like that, and we don't appreciate. Oh yeah, by the way, that's, you know, that's a real person doing that huge leap. Sure the landscape they're landing on is CGI and the thing they fell out of was CGI, but they're actually doing the jump. Yeah. Really good examples of that are the second and third Captain America movies, so Winter Soldier and Civil War. There is a surprising amount of practical stuff going on, especially with Winter Soldier like the chase through over the rooftops and stuff. We mentioned the stuff in Civil War with Black mm. Panther and them like running alongside the cars together and all that kind of stuff. Like so much of that stuff is actually physical. The guy dives out and lands on Cap's shield. Somebody mm. actually jumped out of a window yeah. and landed on his shield. Like that is a totally legit jump somebody made. The the elevator fight and all that kind of stuff and like mm. That is all totally real things. And a, lo a lot of it, again, to the credit of some actors, like Chris Evans is really in some of those shots and he really did help coordinate a lot of that kind of, you know, when his hands are magnetized to the wall during the, the elevator fight and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Mm. And then having people like Guy De Silva, who I mentioned earlier, who was the uh, stunt double for Chadwick Boseman on Civil War, him talking about the the crazy, like, jumping from rooftops and stuff. And he was like, yeah, I mean, you just do it. And he worked with, the guy who was the Winter Soldier uh, mm. guy and just did it. And that was it. I was like, oh, fucking hell. Okay. Like, yeah, there's there's some ropes here and there. And touching on CGI there as well, like the painting out of ropes and ties and harnesses mm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and we we all just say like, oh, and they painted out. It's like, yeah, we talked about this in the live action animation yep. hybrid thing of like painting stuff out is laborious tedious yeah. incredibly attention to detail specific work mm -hmm. that goes completely unsung the amount mm -hmm. of like oh they just did it on a wire and they painted it out. i was like what do you mean they just did it on a wire and painted <laughs> it out that's like yeah. 15 people's work and like weeks of coordination they didn't just do anything that's how you make a fucking movie yeah, <laughs> yeah. that is credits it's making so movies. Yeah. people doing all that shit for hours 
and not a lot of money and not a lot of fucking thanks. I mean, and it's only going to get worse now with things like most phones have a setting. You just, oh, let me just quickly circle around this person. Oh, oh, oh in, my, in my photograph of me on holiday, there's a big old fucking pigeon in the air. Let me just do a circle around that. Blah, 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 gone. And AI gets rid of it for you. And sometimes it's really good. And it's like, it's, you know, it looks like, yes. That, oh, that yeah, that technology is incredible. Sometimes yeah. it's like, Ugh, it's a thing from the fucking ring. It's a big spear. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck have you done to my face? But the thing is, this is all part of this technology, part of this practice, part of this um, uh, this craft at the end of the day. But yeah, I'm, I'm very keen to get into some very specific examples. Uh, yeah, definitely. To go into detail about them because... I think they they live on with cinema as much as the stories and the artists mm. do themselves. So yeah, we've got we've got some choice cuts coming up. Mm. We have we have we'll get into it, listeners. Don't you worry. Today's episode is brought to you by Hello Fresh. Do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With Hello Fresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Perhaps you crave our cheesy beef empanada pockets with balsamic glazed rocket. In this summery weather, perhaps you are away on a picnic and would like to sample our samosa tart with caramelised onion and mint mango chutney. (laughs) Or, if you are of the vegetarian kind, Why not sample our two-cheese ratatouille pasta bake with aubergine, pepper, and charred courgette? Go to the link in our show notes to get 50% off your first box and then 35% off your next three boxes. That's the link in our show notes for 50% off your first box, then 35% off your next three boxes. HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. This episode is also sponsored by Audible. Audible is your number one source for audio content, be it podcasts. For example, you can listen to sequelizers on Audible. You can also listen to guided fitness and meditation. You can also listen to thousands upon thousands of hours of audio books. Perhaps you have the taste for the stunting life, and uh, you would like to hear about the adventures of Evil Knievel, then you can check out Evil, The High-Flying Life of Evil Knievel, American Showman, Daredevil, and Legend. Uh, Written by Lee Montville and narrated by Danny Campbell, Uh, this is a riveting and definitive new biography that pulls back the red, white, and blue cape on a cultural icon and reveals the unknown, complex, and controversial man known to millions around the world as Evil Knievel. That is just one of the books that you can listen to on Audible, and you can get that book for free, plus 30 days membership free, thanks to the sequelizers, just by going to audibletrial.com sequel. 
That is audibletrial.com slash sequel for 30 days free membership and a free audiobook of your choice. So I think we touched on a couple of times already. It's a very big franchise that had a lot of stunts in it. We've touched on a couple of couple of big franchises, Fast and Furious and a few other things, but often when I think of stunts, we touched on the Casino Royale, we touched on a couple of other things, let's talk some Bond. I'm going to talk about one of my mm. favourite Bond films, first of all, and one of the best openings, the fucking Contra Dam bungee jump from Goldeneye. It's fan-fucking-tastic. Remember how much it blew my mind when I first saw that, and as much as I love Goldeneye, it was very much that moment where I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is a different Bond. You mentioned Roger Moore earlier, Matt, like I'd gotten used to kind of like, oh, the silly Roger Moore stuff. And and Tim, you mentioned like the, like, oh, great. Yeah, just undermine all the cool stunt work. They let this stunt shine, for want of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. This is the centerpiece of this opening scene. And it is just... Hindsight, if uh, just like, the foreshadowing voice of it comes in and says, it wouldn't last. <laughs> it just has to die another day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, the fact that this insane bungee jump was done for real, and it was the first time anyone had ever done it off that dam. It's a big, it's a huge dam in Switzerland, in, in real, not actually in Russia, unfortunately. Um, but it is 220 meters high, which is getting close to like 800 feet tall. Good lord. Which, melts my brain and yeah so it is there in in real life is the contra dam or the um, vacheta dam in in switzerland and it is the work of british stuntman wayne michaels and the coordination as part of that was like how the fuck are we gonna do this do we even have a rope that's long enough to do this is there is there a hospital close enough by that if something goes wrong how do we get there? It's like, oh, we'll have a helicopter on standby to get you to a, the local hospital because you're in the middle of nowhere in Switzerland. <laughs> okay, great. And it was the, at, at the time, the biggest, the highest bungee jump ever recorded. So it broke a world record at the time of filming, which blows my mind. And I know it's been broken since, of course, but mm. the fact that they had, kind of gone out of their way to do something that had never been done before and it is just shot spectacularly just incredible incredible cinematography and the again like we said it, it's obviously not pierce brosnan jumping off a <laughs> jumping off a <laughs> dam the fact that with that shot you can get away with the stunt actor as i said wayne michaels doing that incredible jump and not like oh it doesn't really look like pierce brosnan mm. You can really get away with that, kind of like not worrying about it too much and getting lost in the moment, which I always really mm. appreciate with these kind of things. Like we said, if you're thinking about it too much and you're noticing the stunt, then, oh, maybe something's gone wrong or whatever. But I find it's one of these stunts that just kind of takes my breath away every single time and is just, it never ceases to amaze you. I'm not great with heights, which probably helps. Just like, no, 220 <laughs> meters, fuck that. Like, I'm all right, thanks. Um, but I believe you can go and do it now. They now have it as like a tourist thing that you can go and reenact the bungee jump off the dam in Switzerland. And it's like a couple of hundred quid or whatever it is. So <laughs> if you do actually want to go and do it, you can go and do it for real. But oh, yeah, seeing it for the first time, it's the first time anyone ever done anything like that on off that dam. And 
just trying to coordinate it sounded absolutely terrifying. Like the, the quote I had there about the helicopter is from an interview with Wayne himself talking about, like, I mean, he was so excited to do something that had never been done before, but they really didn't know what could go wrong. Like, how does wind work when you jump off <laughs> something this high? And there's yeah. the Magnus effect. So you can throw something and spin it. And it, mm. uh, the way wind and like uplift and air currents work up dams means that things can fly further and further away oh, from things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a whole like crazy physics phenomenon that happens with air currents and stuff around these massive structures. Yeah. And so they, if you pour water at a certain foot of like the Hoover Dam, it goes up or something. And it's like, yes, because the air current is flowing in a certain it, way. It, or it, it's, it goes yeah. up and floats away. It, it yeah. It will fall from higher than you're looking at it, or something like that. Was the quote? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This match. There's um a ridiculous YouTube channel called How Ridiculous is three Aussie blokes chucking stuff off high things, and they visit a Swiss dam very similar to this and throw things off of it and try and get weird effects and like who can throw mm. a spinner ball and see how far it goes and can I land a basketball shot from the top of this dam and all that kind of stuff. And I always find that stuff goes fascinating. Through a car. Pardon? Is that one that has an anvil that goes through a car? Yes. I feel like I've, yes, yeah. I have seen that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know why I've seen this shit. I probably feel it was on TikTok somehow because Jack had They're seen also it. On TikTok, and it's yeah. like leaking into my algorithm they, or something. They drop <laughs> things from high things on other things, which is all, yeah, always I've, entertaining. I've seen them when they do, like, they spin like a basketball as yep. they go down like a huge drop, and it ends up basically going out horizontal. Because yeah. of the way the wind works, it like shoots out and goes for about crazy, you know, yeah. five hundred yards, just going basically straight horizontal. Yeah, and when when they did this in nineteen ninety six, they didn't know that thing existed because they'd never done it before. They're like he might just fly off and like swing off into yeah. a bungee <laughs> jump and splat against the wall. Who fucking knows? Like, oh my god, that's terrifying. That makes it that more spectacular. Yeah, it's one of those stunts where even if you have in your brain like you kind of go into it and go it's not piss bros and it's just a stunt man it's so impressive that that doesn't matter like you could you can know all the safety stuff behind it and you still go holy shit that is a long way to drop and there is a big concrete wall that is basically just there <laughs> and there's an ex this is gonna be a running theme which well sort of we're probably not coming back to, but we don't have to. And so many stunts we talked about being muddied up with CGI or so many scenes that they don't know how to shoot because they don't know what's going to happen. It's one of those things whereby they've shot it in a way that really enhances the threat and the scale of it. And then the sort of lack of music and the sound design underpins it. It's a bit where the, the, the Bond character, played by multiple people in this case, you see the camera looking all the way down. <sighs> he runs quickly takes a moment, pauses the camera, sort of showing you the fall, basically. What the fuck? And then it follows him down. It just it just feels like something has to go wrong. It's a, it, it's not a news report. I'm not seeing this with this app thing. It's, it's, you know, it's what it is. Um, but it's shot cleanly and clearly. There's an old example of Howard Hughes getting these daredevil fighter pilots going really fast, flying really close together, and it's very dangerous um, in the 30s. And the problem was he goes back and looks at the footage and thinks, it's not working. And he realized the problem was there was no landscape. You're filming planes in the sky, and these are obviously on the, one of the planes with the mm. camera, but you can't tell how close or how fast anything is because they're just literally these things going without the landscape and the horizon to show you, holy shit, they are bombing it around. It's like watching Top Gun 
Maverick especially, like, oh, this feels real. Mm. And with with um, the opening Bond one, the, the reason I bring this up is because that whole sequence starts and ends with two insane stunts. The first one's the damn one. The second one is the um, a plane sort of drives off a runway yeah. and a motorbike catches up to it. And it's like, what? It's, 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 I agree with Jack. It's one of my favorite Bond films. Uh, it's so iconic. And to see that on a big screen, obviously, I know we got like, we have big screens in our houses now these days. Even our, you know, computers can have big screens, but people watch like, anyone listening to any of these clips might go, I'll watch up my phone to get a bit of a, uh, you know, what, what the clip looks like. <laughs> to give it the full gravitas of what we experienced might be when you first saw it, it might be worth if you can trying to find a big TV or a big computer screen and watch it that way because, and sit close. Because when you're in the cinema, and that dam goes on forever. You're like, holy shit. I'm about to see a man get squished. <laughs> Wouldn't it be mad if they just included that in there? Like, yeah, some stunt guy died. <laughs> Bond dives mm. off and just whoosh, just whacks against the dam. Like, James and then Bond rolls will out not return. And says, it's me. I'm actually okay. It's like, yeah. That was the worst Texas switch I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, from Bond to something a bit different. Matthew, how about yeah. your first pick? Yeah, a semi-similar thing. Uh, we're going to talk about Tom Cruise. Mm, so we go. basically... Yeah, one um, of the elephants in the room. Absolutely. Um, the fact that Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible movies are so... People make comparisons to Bond. Same with Jason Bourne. You make comparisons to Bond because Bond is a long-running franchise. The difference is that Bond has uh, evolved to a degree and so have the Mission Impossible films. Uh the Bond has a lot of tropes, a lot of quips, a lot of um, very distinct traits that make it a Bond film. Our Mission Impossible film is usually, there's a guy called Ethan Hunt, the TV series is irrelevant, Tom Cruise <laughs> does wacky shit. Yeah. We, before we even get into the actual stunt you want to talk about, the mm. fact that you said Mission Impossible just opens up the floodgate for like a million different mm. options of like, mm. could it be this one? Could it be this one? Could it be this one? Yep. Who fucking knows? And the fact that we talked about the marketing of these things earlier, these are films mm. that are marketed on Tom Cruise doing mental stunts. Absolutely. The trailer will always be, what the fuck? What the fuck is Tom? Oh my God, he's doing that <laughs> now. Holy shit. Yeah. He's hanging off a plane. He's on a building. He's off a cliff. Like yeah. every time it's just like, what the fuck is this? And it, what is he going to do next? Yeah. Dun, dun. It's like, oh, I wonder where we are now. What's going on here? Dun, 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 dun. dun, dun, dun. It's like, oh, there's a guy climbing up a dun, dun. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's yeah. Tom Cruise, our Lord and Savior. Um, I mean, Praise I was like, um, etc. Yeah. I remember John Woo was like, I don't want Tom doing all this stuff. But he's like, no, I'm doing it. I was like, well, what's it going to be? He wants to do actual rock climbing. I was like, don't do that. And like no safety net, no wires. Like, Don't do that. And like, oh, he wants to do actual um, this thing where this knife comes down and it's on a very specific wire, very tension thing. So it could be hovering just above his eyes. Like, Don't do that, please. But, you know, he keeps living. So he's just, you know, he's, he's hungry for he death. He turned 60 recently, didn't he? I think he did or he's about to. And uh, he uh, he also broke his foot on. Mission yeah. And, and of a few weeks out. ago, he turned 60. So, oh, yeah. Shit. Okay. Well, then. Uh, well, anyway, the specific one I'm talking about, because again, there are lots of ones I could talk about. Jack's absolutely right. Is to me the biggest stunt or the most marketable stunt in the best Mission Impossible film. Wow. To my, to my mind, the best Mission Impossible film is uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol from 2011. Good choice. And 
the stunt in question is the entire sequence on the Burj Khalifa. Yeah. Um, the Burj Khalifa is a mile high. <laughs> um, <laughs> to give a bit of context, how big this fucking building is um, in Dubai. And it's insane for multiple reasons, because I, as I'll come back to later, uh, and as I referenced in the first half of the show, there are so many stunts that are like, we only need to do it once. It's a cool thing. We'll get it from one angle. Get no, sorry, from all the angles. Get everything covered. We're not going to do this more risk than we have to. We'll get this done, and it'll be good. And there's so much planning for one moment. Except this is a ten-minute sequence, and you're like, that's kind of ridiculous. It's like, yes, it's a ten-minute sequence by a man who has never directed a live-action film before. Like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, Brad Bird. His last thing was Incredibles and Ratatouille. So it's like, um. Well, well, hang on a minute then. I know he's used to deal with cartoon people. It's like, no, it's fine. I've talked to some professionals. We're good. It's like, okay, what are you going to do? We're going to break 27 of these windows. It's like, what? wait, what? Because we need to drill some stuff on the floor, little cranes for him to hang off. Who? Tom Cruise, obviously. <laughs> um, okay, have you have you tested this? Yeah, yeah, we got a window we got him on, and we found out that it turns out that the, 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 the strap he's in the harness, it's actually, you know, like crushing his stomach. So technically... He can only be up there for like 20, 30 minutes at a time or very short. It's like, oh, oh okay, that sounds really dangerous. It's like, it is because if he can't, uh, if he gets uh, uh, in trouble, he can't pull himself to safety. It's like, right, right, okay. And also, we're filming a lot of this with IMAX cameras and they run through film really quickly. It's like, okay, that sounds also very problematic. It is, it is. And also, again, did I mention he's a mile up on a building on one single wire? It's like, well, wait, one wire? Yes, just one crane. It's like, oh, okay. And what else have you got? He's got lines. Okay. Okay. And anything else you want to throw in there? <laughs> By the way, all the camera units that are being flown around on helicopter, the helicopter flight time in Dubai can only be 30 minutes at a time. It's like, holy gee, this is, uh, why are you doing this? <laughs> this is ridiculous. And yet, the stunt sequence itself, where to get into a specific server room, the plot is almost irrelevant. Welcome to Mission Impossible. Well because, yeah. And I love the fact that Mission Impossible 4 does this thing exceptionally well where almost every bit of their wonderful, cool technology breaks. And it sets up so much foreshadowing so goddamn well. It's like, oh, this isn't working anymore. This isn't working. This isn't working. It's like, oh, okay. And it's like, you're going to have to climb up the building with these special gloves. And there's a great moment where it's like, it goes, you fuck. These sicky gloves are making me a little concerned now. And then suddenly he starts sliding down the building because they're not working. And, and he's running down with his wire attached to him. And it's like, smashing in a window and it's like it's it's and the frustration is everything about that 10 minute sequence is just insane to watch and it's the fact that it's real because mm. when you're watching this film and i saw it in the cinema uh, in imax and fuck me it is terrifying and it's still impressive on a smaller screen um but you're seeing that initial shot much like the golden eye damn shot where you like he's standing on a ledge going okay I'm stepping out and he steps out into the window and the camera the follows room. through and yeah. And the fact the camera follows through and just shows the drop and you're like, oh, I'm going to be sick. Um, <laughs> Cause it, you know, even if you don't have vertigo and you obviously you don't have vertigo looking at something because you're not in the situation, but your body goes, yeah, no, fuck that. Um, and because of all this, it sells it as real, but then three or four minutes in the sequence, everything goes wrong and he's slipping and sliding. It's very tense. You keep forgetting. You almost want someone to keep shouting. No, you want Tom Cruise to be there saying, I was on that building. <laughs> no, it's a bit too arrogant. What we actually need is Tom Cruise's insurance agent going, he was on that building! He was doing this! Are you seeing this? 
Are you not entertained? <laughs> um, because there's no need for it. There literally, there's so many ways around this now, which make it work in a way that is entertaining and um, convincing. I mean, I was terrified for fucking Sandra Bullock and Gravity. That's not real. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing CGI and a wonderful performance. But in this, I'm like, I know he doesn't die. But holy Jesus, I've seen enough reports saying three killed on set. Uh, you know, and it's like. Mm. It's insane, and obviously because he's a huge artist and uh, and the way he is, and the fact he owns half the companies, and I think for a long time, I think he now currently owns. Hang on, I don't know the exact history of this one because it's such a weird one. But United Artists, which was set up by, um, initially way 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 back in the day, uh, in 1919 by Mary Pickford, Charlie Chaplin, D- Douglas Fairbanks, and D.W. Griffith, and it's like we're going to make the films we want to make our way. Um, and it was a whole history of this thing. But in like 2006, MGM and Tom Cruise are resurrecting United Artists. And you're like, oh, of course. <laughs> of course you are. You own the studio. You can do what you want. And you're doing the same thing that Chaplin did, basically. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm in charge. And no one can stop me. And it's like, holy Jesus. But the stunt is as- astonishing. And as I say, it's not just, and I don't want to insult anybody who's done anything, because every stunt is important. But it's not that it's all these derogatory, all these diminutive languages just only because these things are still really cool but it's not that it's the stunt in isolation it's that it's part of this huge scene and it keeps going and escalating which i think is very much the pinnacle of mission impossible movies and why they can be so entertaining because you're like oh crap i'm gonna see something i've i've never seen before that sort of thing yeah i think the the sustained nature of it is so interesting because i think your brain kind of almost can't cope with the thought that oh, that's him up there doing it for real for longer than about 30 seconds. So every time they, you cut back to him, it's like a fresh jolt of like, oh, Jesus, yes, he's up that high. Oh, God. <laughs> um, it's and true. Yeah. If you see someone like swallowing a sword or throwing an axe at a person at a wall, first five times you go, cha! And then you realize, oh, they're professionals who do this all the time. It tends to take it away a little bit. And they usually evolve something, like a storytelling beat where they miss mm. something or something gets cut. And you go, ah, ah! And you're yeah. right to me. They're absolutely right. And the final bit where he jumps, like swings around the Burj Khalifa, jumps, smacks his head into the top of the the window and almost falls. It's just like, oh, my God. (laughs) Because, again, it's it's the whole everything go. You know, as an audience member, especially with Bond and Mission Impossible and and Bond things, as I say, the Bond thing was always it's not if Bond gets out of there. It's how he gets out of there. It's not if he escapes, it's not if he survives, it's how. And with these films, you're like, I know he's not going to fucking die midway through this scene. The actor or the character. Yeah, they're not going to kill Ethan Hunt like an hour into the film. Mm. Some shit's going wrong already, (laughs) so I don't know what to expect. So Mm. yeah, it's hard not to be enthralled by it. And then it has the perfect comedy beat at the end of Simon Pegg running in having switched over some hotel room numbers and going, whew, that was a bit close, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because you need that bit of levity to go, it's all right, kids. Everything's yeah. okay. Yeah. No, I, I love it. Um, Tim, mm-hmm. what do you have for us in, the, in your opening? I'm going to go for a sequence that I think a lot of people don't realize is real stunt work Ooh, and assume classic. is CGI which is what is known as the Barrel of Monkeys sequence from Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, uh, Which, yeah. if, you're, if you're struggling to remember that, it is the bit in Iron Man 3 where the bad guys essentially blow up Air Force One. 
uh, with some people still on board it, or a chunk of it at least. And about 13 people get sucked out, and uh, Iron Man is following after them, basically, um, and gets them to all grab onto each other and then lowers them into the water, having dropped, you know, mm-hmm. 20,000 feet or however high high up the plane is meant to be. Um, and they did it all for real, basically. Um, they Which I didn't appreciate at the time. Yeah. Uh, they looked at doing it using like CGI and using people on wires and, and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, I think it was Jeff Haberstad, who was the uh, the stunt coordinator, was like, you know what? I know some people on the Red Bull skydiving team. We could actually just do this for real. <laughs> uh, and it took them it took them about two months of uh, preparation working out how they were going to do it, working out how they would film it, doing test jumps and stuff like that. Also took them that long to, they had custom costumes because obviously the people who are jumping out aren't meant to be wearing parachutes. That's the whole point. And so you have these custom costumes that hide the parachutes. They make them part of the the costuming. They kind of conceal them so they're very difficult to see until they're pulled, all that kind of stuff. They were those were made by uh, a guy called Jake Brake, who has a has, yeah First of all, great name. Uh, who has a, a very long history in the industry back to Moonraker, which also featured oh, wow. uh, a a stunt where Bond I can't remember what he jumps out of, but he's not meant to have a parachute, and so there's a big free fall section in that. Um, and so this guy has been working in the industry for thirty forty years creating these costumes um and yeah took two months of preparation for them to do it and then they shot it over the course of eight days um and it's i think it's 13 people plus iron man in the sequence falling out of the plane um they had to do 62 airplane trips essentially um during which time they did 600 jumps between you know the, the the various people 480 more than 480 of those were with hidden parachutes which obviously not only is a thing for filming but it also makes them more complex because there's you know there's extra hidden away parts that you can't have uh so it's a little bit riskier um and yeah i think it's really unappreciated by people especially coming in the mcu where we're so used to so much cgi and you know that same film has the um the house party protocol scene mm. where it's all these CGI suits zipping around and, and Robert Downey Jr. interacting with them. But we're kind of so used to it. Oh, like that's just CGI. And we're, we're used to seeing that perspective of Robert Downey Jr.'s face when he's inside the armor and there's just kind of lights and, you know, well, that's just done in a cupboard in, you know, Beverly Hills somewhere essentially. <laughs> and then we, then we CGI some graphics in front of him that I think people, yeah, don't appreciate the complexity and the and the the real thing i think it is when you go back and watch it even without that knowledge it's one of the better action sequences that marvel have ever done um oh, yeah because even if you don't realize it there is that level of of verisimilitude there is the the wind whipping costumes around in ways that you can't you can only do when it's actually oh no these are actual people falling through the sky falling towards the earth uh and and i think it does actually it makes for a really thrilling stunt sequence um in a film that's relatively light on action mm. um 
I think it makes and it's it's nice to have a section in a superhero film that is about saving people and is very there's almost no mm. aggressive action. I mean, he has just killed a bad guy right before this, uh, who yeah. was the one who blew up the plane. <laughs> but the the sequence that we remember is the Barrel of Monkeys, and it is just about okay, how am I going to save these people? And that's to me is the essence of what superhero fiction should be about. Yeah. Um there's an interview with uh the writer Drew Pierce and director Shane Black talking about this sequence specifically and like you said, and they talk about how many dozens and then dozens and say, no, 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 I think it was hundreds of jumps. And it's like, oh my mm. God. Uh and specifically talking about the budget behind it and the planning that went into it. And they said, um once you get to this kind of budget and you have the power that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has, they don't ask you how much it costs. They ask when when can it be done and how can it be done? Mm-hmm. Like we have all, essentially all the money. We have Disney mm. money. We can do what we like. They're like, so I thought we could do this thing, and they're like, why don't you just do that for real? Like, what do you mean? Like, no, you can really just do that and do it hundreds of times with all these, like you said, incredible technology behind these hidden parachutes inside, like their military jackets and stuff. Like mm. it's inc- incredible little details and things like that. And there were certain shot, there were certain jumps they did where the shots weren't right, and they were like, "Oh God!" Like I think we we're, they were worried they were gonna like run out of time or run out of money, or whatever. And they're like, "No, oh, do you need us to jump like fifteen feet to the left?" And like, you can do that. And like, yeah, 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 we can just, you know, however you want us, let us know and we'll do it. Mm. These divers, these incredibly experienced and skillful divers, were just like, "Oh yeah, we can make it look like we're panicking and about to die," and then snap into professionalism in a second and mm, yeah. twist in this you want this shot specifically so i turn in this way and face this direction i can do that for you just let me know just ask and i'll be there it's like having that kind of like control and and fortitude and wherewithal hundreds of feet in the air <laughs> essentially plummeting to your death yeah. for, your brain doesn't mm-hmm. know there's a parachute there but these guys have trained so hard and for so long to just like switch one of the most primordial things in the human brain off and be like, oh yeah, I can do this jump hundreds of times and mm. I can move this way, I can move that way, and I can adjust myself this way. Even like, as you, as you mentioned earlier, Tim, like the cameramen also are diving. Like the, yeah. the, guy, the guys, <laughs> they learn how to use cameras properly and where to point cameras and stuff. And like I said, the first couple of shots, they didn't line things up properly. And they're like, I will just do it a few more times. It's fine. And they're like, really are you sure it's like yeah, yeah yeah this is fine and they just made it seem like it was the most normal thing in the world <laughs> and i know shane black was like i went up in the helicopter like to to that level to to the plane it was like no that one, the one time was good enough for me <laughs> i think he said he had to do it like a couple of times yeah but he was like not envious of the people that did it dozens and dozens of times over like you said over the course of a week oh my god yeah and I, you're totally right. We get so used to CGI stuff in the MCU and these big budget, big modern blockbuster superhero and action movies and all this kind of stuff. I mentioned Fast and Furious, I think, is another good example. So mm. much of that stuff is so bollocks CGI stuff that looks very obviously CGI. And then there are some real bits. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah, I never even thought of that. That's so cool. That's so clever. And they go underappreciated because we're so used to cgi can fix all of our problems it can do anything like no they're real people diving out of planes like that is incredible mm. 
And it just makes me wish that the MCU was happy to go with, like, okay, we're going to put out two films this year rather than three or four. We're going to the we're going to scale back the scale ever so slightly, but we're going to give ourselves more time to do sequences like this. Because when people complain about CGI in, in Marvel films, like you say, it's not a lack of time. Uh, it's not a lack of money anymore. It's a lack of time. Yeah, you know, it's because certain things have to be pre-rendered and they have to stick with what they've got. It's because there is a, you know, a, they pin out these release dates and go, okay, it's going to be this far into the future, um, and and that's when it's coming out. Um, yeah, there was yeah, a recent, you, re, there was a recent release. I can't remember who it was. Whether it was. Spider-Man No Way Home or Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness or something like that. One of the visual effects directors was talking about how it was released with incomplete visual effects because they ran out of time. And they were like, they were rendering stuff three or four hours before stuff was delivered to cinemas for the midnight screenings. Mm. What? What do you mean? It's like, yeah, (laughs) they didn't even get the finished version. So people who saw it in the midnight screening did not see the fully like comped and finished rendered versions of that movie Mm. if you saw it two weeks later you got the full thing and they had essentially almost like a video game they had patched the visual effects and updated it and that blows my mind that we're in like you said because they're so strict on their schedules but they have essentially disney has all the money in the world in terms of the movie world at the moment yeah it's fascinating and he's, uh, apparently, again, you know, allegedly, uh, this happened with Stranger Things recently, with the last two episodes. Uh, oh yeah, of the most recent season, and it was like they were uploading the most the, like, the finished visual effects to the Netflix server the day before. That was the it. Yeah, yeah. Episodes got like, that as well. Are you fucking insane? The risk behind that, like, and again, admittedly, everything looks really, really, really good, but that just means ah, crunch works every time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a separate discussion, but yeah. Yeah. Jack, we're back round to you for your second pick. I'm going to go back on the ground from <laughs> from three very, very high things, whether on a dam, the Burj Khalifa, or falling out of a plane. I'm all the way back down on Earth, essentially. I want to talk about some real martial arts grounded stunt work stuff. I'm going to highlight a couple of things. One in particular has always stood out to me. One of my favorite martial arts films, one of the films that really like blew my mind when I first saw it, is the film that really kind of introduced Tony Jaa to the Western world as well, um, is Ong Bak uh, from 2003. Oh, yeah. One of my absolute favorite martial arts movies. And like I said, something that just... The, the action and the stunt work and the choreography and the martial arts in it just... I'd never seen anything like it at that point. And it very much goes on to inspire things like the raid and a lot of other things that this very kind of like stunt driven, visceral kind of modern martial arts films we've had over the last 20 years for me. And I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of other, you know, more specific influences for many of those. For me, this is where the turning point happened of like, Oh shit, this is what martial arts can be. Oh my God, (laughs) this is amazing. And there's a couple of bits. So there is a, and and again, Tony Jaro is one of those famous people for doing his own stunts. That was his whole thing when he was first starting out in Thai cinema and stuff and, and working through all of this kind of becoming a martial artist and mm. becoming a, a stunt actor and becoming an actor and all this kind of stuff. Not only the, he's the lead, but he's also 
choreographing along with uh Panna Ritkrai, who's one of the like the best stunt coordinators from Thailand <laughs> and like that part of the world. Working with Panna Ritkrai and working with his team and building that whole kind of things that don't look real but are real. There's a moment where he dives through uh like a a loop of barbed wire on the street. It's the classic setup of the like oh, there's a chase scene and then somebody walks with a bunch of boxes and oh no, the boxes go everywhere. But these guys are like hanging stuff on and and there's this loop of barbed wire that can't be more than a foot and a half, two feet across. Thank you, Toothless. And Tony Jaa runs and leaps and tucks his arms and legs in a way as a 30-year-old man with back issues, I will never (laughs) understand how he is able to tuck himself and go and just slide perfectly through that tiny little gap i remember seeing that and being like how the fuck does the human body do that and the one i really want to focus on is the flying knee while he is set on fire towards that in that ridiculous fight in ongbak where there's they're fighting basically fighting outside a petrol station and as you can imagine there's lots of oil barrels and stuff it's basically a big video game and they explode oh no and you think uh Ting, the main character, has been taken out by the bad guys, by these henchmen. And but no, he comes flying out from behind the fire with his entire basically his entire bottom half <laughs> literally ablaze and delivers this like flying knee to one of these henchmen and then a spinning like head kick, roundhouse kick thing, while on fire to this guy's face. And it is absolutely ridiculous. Tony Jaa famously burnt the fuck out of his legs doing it, unsurprisingly, and apparently they kept telling him, don't do it, you don't actually need to set yourself on fire, there's plenty of other ways we can do it, and he was like, no, 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 it's fine, I know what I'm doing, I'll I'll, I'll get it, don't worry, and he burnt the fuck out of his legs doing it, but the shot is something out of a video game, but it is literally a dude with his legs on fire, delivering like a Muay Thai flying knee, like something you see in the UFC but on steroids literally <laughs> on fire and it is one of the coolest things 14 year old jack had ever seen in his life and i was like this is a video game come to life i need to go and learn my time right now this, <laughs> this is this is incredible and yeah just the shit that tony jar was doing in the early 2000s there's there's even ones where he like kicks a guy in the face and then back flips off that guy's face and kicks another guy in the face don't understand how you do that all this kind of stuff where tying in that martial arts and stunt kind of stuff together mm. learning how to land properly understanding how to work with things like fire and he does a flying knee through a window at one point as another kind of mm. thing where it doesn't look real but part obviously the glass isn't real but the actual fall is totally mm. real and that knee through the window is totally real shit like that in on back just blows my mind and even stuff like he's running over people's heads and shoulders in that chase scene through the mm. through the street he hops up and is just bouncing foot to foot on people's shoulders as they're just kind yeah. of like, oh no, what's going on? Blah, and just being silly passerbys kind of thing. Just absolutely ridiculous stuff that he does in that. And the image of him delivering that flying knee while on fire is just, pun intended, burned into my brain and has been <laughs> for the last nearly 20 years. And yeah, Ongbak has such a special place in my heart for reinvigorating my love of martial arts after kind of growing up on that stuff as i mentioned previously on the show Mm. and it was one of those films where i got to introduce my dad to a martial arts movie 
I was just like, yes, this is the <laughs> cool shit. And I got to do that again with The Raid, another one of my favorite films. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love that film. And, and that moment is just so, uh, yeah, ingrained in my brain is this powerful moment that he literally just set himself on fire and got really hurt for it. Like, mm, maybe not the best of ideas, but it looks really cool on camera. <laughs> Anything involving fire is just like so many levels of additional danger because it's it's so unpredictable and it's you know obviously drops and and falls and all those kind of things are incredibly dangerous but like fire sustains in a way that those other things don't it's like it's like dealing with water as well it's just like it adds so much danger and to be doing a, a an impressive stunt that's also a martial arts sequence is already impressive. And then you're <laughs> like, and then we're going to set you on fire as well. And it's just, <laughs> Ong Bak is, is, yeah, I can remember seeing that, seeing the dive through the barbed wire, seeing some of the, 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 the leaps and the, just the, the stuff that he just like crashes through just in smaller parts of other se- sections of just like, uh you know just like smashing through boxes and stuff like that and you're just like this guy is like a human wrecking ball you know he is uh incredible um and yeah it's it's absolutely astonishing stuff it's interesting because if if we got through this list without mentioning at least one martial arts sequence we would have been to be fair in a lot of trouble um and it's it's fascinating because fight choreography is so synonymous with stunts and it's like you're faking a punch theater style where like, I'll throw a hit and it'd be really away from your face. And it's like, okay, then what? Then you fall through. A, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, good point. You fall down. It's minimal, but it's a stunt. And then it's like, we, we talked about wrestling, down? right? You learn yeah, to fall down and not break absolutely. your neck. You learn to Take a look like you've taken a punch or a kick or whatever. Exactly. And then it's through pressured glass. That's when you impact it, it shatters to a million pieces and you fall down and stuff that even though it's breakaway can be very dangerous. All kinds of things like this. And, with with the fire, we're very um, we're kind of used to the idea of the flailing act. Going, oh, I'm on fire! And so, oh yeah, here he is on fire. Um, because one of the hardest things to actually CGI is you know practical elements like water and fire and arguably wind. Um, or I mean, when I mean earth, I mean things like detailed sand and yeah, and, and dirt like and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we see so much of it all the time that you can say like, oh, I can see that's fake, and, and it operates in such a way that's so unpredictable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but there's a thing called, I think it's Zell Gel, that with uh, flambeau sets and other flaming things they do, yep. uh, is what you get coated in so you don't catch fires. It's like you have layers and layers and layers under your clothes uh, of, of, of various um, material to keep you safe. And then this, this uh, basically cooling gel that you try not to essentially, you know, catch an actual fire. But obviously you're good for, you're supposed to have like, I think the industry is supposed to be 15 seconds, allegedly. But that also being said, you can't breathe when this stuff's going on. Obviously, this isn't a full body situation, but you're flailing around kicking someone else with these, you know, flaming legs. Um, and then you can't breathe in that fake fire. You can't bring that stuff because you're deprived of oxygen. And so it makes it even harder to do these things. There are things you don't know about that they're actively not telling you because, of course, it's, you know, movie magic and industry stuff. But the, the compromises around just, oh, a man is set on fire is still incredibly dangerous. Um, and so I like we have another one that fills again quite simple but is 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 again a real testament to being dedicated to your craft matt how about you for your 
second pick? My final pick is um, a strangely linked one to my first pick, in a weird way. Um, Mission Impossible, the one of the other ones. <laughs> it's the other big stunts from Mission Impossible 4, <laughs> where he goes through that big uh, circular water thing. Yeah, that's yeah, that thing. Uh, that's, that's five. That is very nation, yeah. Oh, well. um, my pick is from 80 years prior to Tom Cruise doing his nonsense on the side of a building. And yet... Not only is it the same level of you are fucking stupid, you are asking for trouble, you're going to die. It is arguably, for a lot of stunt people, the greatest stunt of all time. Now, I know that's a very arrogant and very bold claim. It's hyperbole, but it's kind of true. So there is a film called Steamboat Bill Jr. from 1928, and there's a tornado sequence in it. And uh, the idea is like, oh, all these things are blowing around. Everything's so chaotic. And wow, I came out unscathed. Fucking A. That levity, that that thing where like Simon Pegg running and saying, oh, it's really difficult out there. Um, except the difference is the levity is before the stunt. Because Buster Keaton, who's the uh, star of this film, he's he's giving credit to certain things. And there's, at the time, there's like, oh, there's a screenwriter who's credited as a screenwriter because that's, you know, the sort of, Wild West of a film is like where he can see on the payroll for the studio. Um, and around this time, I can't remember his partner's name because Joseph or Nicholas, but Schenk was the guy's name, and he sold the company to MGM. So suddenly, all of Keaton's uh involvement and creativity and stuff were possibly on hold. And say, like, Oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And this film and this stunt comes out, kind of changes everything. Really, he stands and like, Oh, everything was all right, no problem at all. And the house behind him. The front of the house detaches and falls down. And there's a tiny, tiny window at the top. And the tiny window just so happens to be where Buster Keaton is standing. And he goes, oh, in that. And we've seen it replicated a thousand times. It may sound like, yeah, it's a Tom and Jerry thing. I've seen it in cartoons. Yeah, 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 yeah. A Bugs Bunny's done it. I've seen a, a film where it's like, you know, technically, in a weird way, that's what happens when... Uh, Tim and Dr. Grant are coming down a tree in, in Jurassic uh, Jurassic Park and then the yeah. car lets, falls down mm. Oh, you hold tight and it gets smashed down and it falls on them and they're like, oh, it's okay. We're back in mm. the car again because the sunroof was caved in. Like, yeah, this is different. Why is it different? Bit of preamble first, very briefly. So Buster Keaton, his dad was all involved in like the circus and stuff and they toured with Houdini and allegedly this Keaton tells a story. He fell down a full flight of stairs and we're talking about, you know, like 18, late 1800s, early 1900s. Those stairs are going to be either hardwood and uncovered or fucking marble or, you know, stone. It's going to be <laughs> bad. I mean, a full flight of stairs, like, you know, fucking 30, 40 stairs themselves. At six months old, he falls down these stairs all the way to the bottom. Then gets up, effectively as a six-month-old does, like, sort of sits himself up. Gets up, dusts and, himself, having, oh, bloody hell. Oh, oh, oh. Apparently, seems unfazed. At which point, this kid who had a name already, Houdini says, sure was a buster right there, as in to fall down or anything. And his dad said, it's a good name. Um, and so is that carny bullshit? Is it real? To be honest with Buster Keaton, the whole like precarious life of growing up in that century? Probably. <laughs> Probably <laughs> entirely real. Why not? Um, from, yeah, so Keaton's always been doing ridiculous stuff. And he, to this day, you can watch a montage Again, I love I love Chaplin, I love Harold Lloyd stuff. I love a lot of the the, the greats. Fairbanks as well because it doesn't get enough of a shout out for being his swashbuckling kind of things. But Keaton's ridiculous. The things <laughs> he was putting himself through 
because he was like, oh, I can do that. A car drives past, he holds his hand out and gets scooped off, you know? Yeah, that, that, Ooh, that one. Pull your fucking I... arm out of your socket, man. Are you mad? Yeah. I, no matter how many times I watch that, I'm like, but how? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> the, it's like ragdoll physics or things like, your body shouldn't do that without breaking everything in it. What, what is this? Um, now, admittedly, allegedly, I'm pretty sure at this point, people were also very concerned as well because the fi- I mentioned the financial thing with uh, Shank starting off the company MGM. I believe he was going through some really uh, strong alcohol abuse at the time, possibly as well. There's all kinds of things going on. Um, and so there's a real, very real threat that he's going to be a little bit off and die because this front of the building that falls off is not a facade. It's not a lightweight thing. It's not a, oh, I'm going into a Western town and it's all just like girders and, and, and MDF. It's a house. They just cut the front of the house and pushed it. That's the whole thing. And say, like, how do you know it's going to fall that way? How do you know it's not going to fall apart? Have you done tests? Eh, it'd be fine. Obviously, it's considered very specifically as using like actual, you know, pure science to go. You have to line up here. This door, this window has to be this exact same size. You have to have your arms in. He's done similar stunts in the past with our lightweight facades falling, and they're wider, almost like door size windows. But this was a proper. He can't survive this. And then people saying like, "How much was this front of this house weighing?" It's like two tons. Yeah, Jesus. He is going, and he also. He don't fucking flinch. He's he literally holds still. He goes, oh, oh. He's doing his performance. He holds his hand on his head like he's like you know Laurel and Hardy's like oh yeah 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 yeah. And he goes, bonk. And he just goes, oh, oh okay. And the problem with silent movies is that obviously the problem with a lot of pacing in older films, it doesn't hold long enough for you to go, holy shit. <laughs> and because it's a mile a minute stuff, you don't really get the moment to take in the. It, it, again, you get a ten minute sequence of of. of Tom Cruise on the side of the Burj Khalifa. This is the equivalent of Tom Cruise on the side of the Burj Khalifa, but there's no wire. He has sticky gloves that don't work mm-hmm. every now and again. It's like, oh, wait, 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 what do you mean? It's like, we just did it. No, I don't understand. We just did it. Um, and I, I find that fascinating. And the, and the man was insane, obviously, like everyone. And I think his own words were, I had to be mad. Looking back at all the footage, I had to be mad to go through that and do it. <laughs> there's something clearly wrong with me. And Without being de- derogatory, he might be right. But um, no, I think as a sequence, people see it now and they go, oh, it's that slapstick, you know, whistle fucking thing that Tim mentioned earlier. A whistle slide comes through and you're like, yeah, silly. It's like, no, man, that is, I don't think you can top that these days because no one would, no one would fucking dare. Yeah, we talk about Tom Cruise, like taking all these risks and stuff. But the fact that, as you said, two tons of a legit house facade just, potentially crushing you to death and i've seen a couple of different kind of reports on like oh if he'd been this way or that way blah, blah blah i think the common um conception is that it was like two or three inches in any direction yeah. and it would and the the frame of the window so would have hit him which would have knocked him over which then he would have been crushed to death by the rest of the house basically so and you're right matt the fascinating thing to me is the performance behind it all there is no flinching there is no like he doesn't like pencil himself like he's tombstone diver or anything like that. There's no like tucking himself in visually. I'm sure he is consciously because he knows his mark and he knows his position so perfectly. But 
visually you have no clues there's no sudden like oh better tuck myself up quick oh no oh, oh and then or like a flinch he just scratches his head and then uh oh yeah where was i and just kind of hops off and like, da, 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 da. like it's a fascinating mm -hmm. performance let alone stunt and i think that's why it works so well ignoring the fact that it's nearly a hundred years old and i know we talked about this a lot recently on another episode mm. like we're talking about shit we talked about metropolis we're talking about that kind of thing where it's like a hundred years ago this is insane this is 94 years ago the fact that it still holds up now and is still like oh fucking hell like you still have that reaction to a stunt that seems so simple and so obvious because it's been replicated a million times since then but it still carries that weight all this time later it's just a testament to keaton and his ingenuity and his granted insanity yeah and admittedly and i don't i don't i don't have the evidence of this but i think they were only rolling one camera at the time that is correct yes i, I like, looked that up as well it's like what the fuck yeah. are you talking about <laughs> you think this is gonna happen you run five just in case one doesn't work and this is all clang 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 oh my god just in I, sorry I, again I, every time i'm thinking about it in the practical sense of like we're just gonna go do this insane <laughs> yeah i think the the way the way that you can judge the insanity of this is that they recreate it in, I think it's Jackass 2, Johnny Knoxville mm. does it, and looks nervous, and you can tell that he is tensing up before it happens. And like you say, Jack, Buster Keaton does it and never breaks character. You never see him tense up. He just does it, and mm -hmm. then he carries on. And it's like, yeah. oh... <laughs> You you either have to be supremely confident that you have this exactly right, or you have to kind of not care if it goes wrong. Absolutely, you're like I, it's it's that almost like I don't want to do this twice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it has to work the first time. So you know what, I'm not going to fuck the take up or whatever. And you have to put all of your instincts on hold. And it's interesting because if you talk about like, the the Knoxville version as well, because any version that comes after it, for example. It's the fact that we're using modern technology, modern film, computer programming, yeah. all the bits busy that can figure out these things on a hinge and blah, 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 make sure it falls in a certain way. It's a rickety old fucking building that they built back then. It's not like it's on like a modern, everything's absolutely perfectly cut. If you see that, the sort of cross section of the building that's cut away, again, it's not clean lines. It's not like the idea that this is perfectly cut. It meant, it's meant, because obviously, fair point, it's like, it's meant to look like it's creaked, cracked, and fallen off. I'm like, yeah, but. It's it's still a an actual structure. You've cut something off, which means anything. It could have easily just because no one had tested it. It could have crumpled in on its own way. If you've ever seen a a, a chimney or like an old like an old Victorian chimney or or a um a block of flats being carefully demolished with uh, controlled charges, right? And it's like well, if you blow up these support structs, it'll all fall in on itself. And it's very satisfying in a weird way because it's like that's really clever. And there are times it goes one thing goes wrong and say, like, oh no, that's just gonna really taken out this whole like industrial chimney it's like oh my god and yeah like jack says the window for success was the literal window was so small yeah. that even if you have it so that oh they okay well he they lay down the the house you know before and buster keaton goes over and stands on his mark and they they lift it up back into place even if they did that all it takes is for it to slip slightly on one side and suddenly that that spot where they've marked it 
is no longer accurate or it, it, it you know mm-hmm. when they release it for one side to be let go of ever so slightly after the other and suddenly it's falling and twisting at the same time and that that mark is wrong and his head's getting caved in it, it's yeah. yeah yeah it's a once in a lifetime shot like like you said man with one camera rolling and as you just said tim the fact that this is an unpredictable thing that you cannot guarantee that something will fall in the exact same place twice. That is apparently exactly how they did it is mm. they laid it down and then just lifted it up. And then were like, that seems about right. And, and Buster Keaton, Let's go. <laughs> he, so they did not even draw an X on the floor. It was Buster Keaton measuring his steps forward. Fuck me. I, I would have to, I would, <laughs> You're in black and white, mate. Just have the biggest X possible on the floor. Who yeah. fucking cares? Like, gee, out of a glow-in-the-dark fucking X, it'd be like, you need to stand precisely within this square, otherwise you die. Like, nope. He measured his steps, and it was like, okay, I think it's one, two, three, pace, uh, 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 fall. It's like, because he has that moment where, like you said, mate, he's like scratching his head and being like, oh, I wonder what the hell's going on here. Oh, well, whatever. And then it falls down. So there's that pause as well. So him lifting up his arm and scratching his head. If it caught his elbow, that's ripping his arm off. Like yep. it's insane. And like the, the fact that we haven't talked about Jackass, I know we just brought them up, but like to, to do all the maddest bullshit stunts all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And, the, and they replicate that with Knoxville, like with the fake saloon, like falling over. Mm. And then the gag is that he gets hit with the wrecking ball. Like, yeah. Because the saloon that falls past him is a set. It's a wooden thing and you can see how thin it is. And, even like Jackie Chan's done that. Like he's had, he had the, I can't remember which film it's in, but like the big, uh, like decoration thing falls on top of him and it turns out it's just cardboard. So he just, yeah. his head just goes straight through and he's like, Oh, okay. Every runs away panicking. just goes Fumf, and just goes straight through. This was a fucking building. As you said, Matt, it's a legit bit of a building. It is brick and mortar and yeah. cement and shit. Like it blows my mind that you've just been like, just make it out of wood. Just fake it. Do something. Like yeah. that. Just, just <laughs> legit actual bit of wood, actual bit of in house. In cartoons and in films, we've seen an equivalent like this in so many uh, different guises is how enduring and terrifying it is because everyone's trying to replicate it because everyone's fascinated with it, but nobody can because part of the actual appeal, shall we say, is the fact that the man nearly fucking died. That's it's like when you see like um, a, a YouTube clip about some fucking extreme climbing dickheads who go up some sort of radio mast on their own and get like a, a, a selfie stick and go, hey, everybody, you're like, oh, fuck, no, fuck, fuck off. No, except this has a story to it. And yeah, yeah. Crazy. Tim, uh, give us something entirely different that Buster Keaton arguably couldn't do. Oh, because they didn't go fast enough. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah, we, we kind of uh, pointed out we haven't really touched on fight scenes or car chases here, uh, which are arguably two big parts of stunt work because Absolutely. those topics are big enough that they can sustain their own episode, essentially. Um, so we've we focused more on kind of thrills and spills, jumps and falls and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, obviously, on back we've we've drifted into fight territory, um, and this is one that drifts into car chase territory. But the thing that for me uh, 
makes it so terrifying would would be terrifying even if it wasn't be, even if there was no chase happening uh and that is the ship's mast stunt from death proof yeah which uh i i first saw i saw it as uh, grindhouse because i was in america when it came out so i saw the, the the two halves together with the fake trailers in between um and have since seen again as as the full film death proof and it is quentin tarantino's probably least good film probably it's the most self-indulgent yeah um no, and no, sure <laughs> once upon a time <laughs> says differently uh and yet um, and I know there's a lot of people who don't like it because they're like, oh, it just drags on forever. And it's like, yes, there is a lot of setup and a lot of just kind of slightly subpar Tarantino dialogue going on. But then you get this sequence and it justifies the film's existence for me. So you have Zoe Bell, who had worked with Tarantino pro- uh, previously. She had been Uma Thurman's stunt double on uh, the Kill Bill films um, and had done been working in stunts for ages beforehand she'd worked on uh, xena warrior princess heavily because she's from new zealand and that's where that show was shot um and mm-hmm. a bunch of other stuff um and tarantino had got to know her and was basically like you're so cool you deserve a film where you get to show off how <laughs> cool you are uh and she was like yeah all right so you have this sequence where it is her on the bonnet or hood for Americans of uh, this 1970 Dodge Challenger, uh, as they note in the film, it's the, the the same car from Vanishing Point, and she has essentially got belts that are tied around the door frames on the left and the right, and is holding onto them and is out on the 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 bonnet of the car like she's a ship's you know figurehead almost mm-hmm. or a ship's mast and. You've got the other characters kind of driving her along. And then stuntman Mike, who we alluded to in the opening of the film, (laughs) uh, of of the episode, I should say, uh, as played by Kurt Russell, shows up in his 1969 Dodge Charger and starts trying to run them off the road. Um, And Zoe Bell is out there the whole time on the bonnet of this car, gripping on for dear life. And they just, they did all of that. (laughs) <laughs> which is insane yeah um it is it is like a murderer's row of talent the stunt team that was working on this film and um, the stunt coordinator was jeff dashnor the stunt driver primarily for uh stuntman mike was buddy joe hooker who'd worked on stuff like terminator 2 and scarface uh and to live and die in la um there was also terry leonard as another stunt driver who'd worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Blues Brothers, Apocalypse Now, the stunt drivers for Kim, who is the character who's driving the car that Zoe Bell's on, uh, were Tracy Keen Dashnor, who'd worked on Romancing the Stone and Dragnet and Speed 2. And there was also uh, Chrissy Weathersby, who was a relative newcomer, but has gone on to work on stuff like um, Dune and uh, a bunch of Mm -hmm. other films as well. Uh, And so they had this real kind of masterclass of stunt performers and of course zoe bell herself out there on the bonnet of this car and just i can remember watching this in the cinema and the entire sequence just my fingers were digging into the arms of my chair (laughs) because you can and and obviously we talk we've talked a lot about kind of cgi and 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 the lines and all that kind of stuff of, of what's believable and what's not 
it was so clear both through the nature of the, the the way they filmed this film and through the kind of the promotion like this was all really happening and obviously mm-hmm. there are safety steps that they take but there's a limit to how much you can mitigate the risk in any stunt and this is uh, a car chase that's happening and an impressive car chase at that but there's some got some really good stunts in it even disregarding kind of the fact the the additional setup on it and then you have the fact that she is just gripping on, like starts off with two belts hanging on, then goes down to one, and then is down to just with her fingertips, apparently. <sighs> um, <that>. And <laughs> it, 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 it just feels so visceral. And, you know, I think Tarantino directs this sequence incredibly well, and it's edited within an inch of its life. Yeah, it is it, just... It is the when I think of like nail biting sequences in cinema, this is one of the top for me because I'm I I spend the entire time just going like something awful is about to happen. Yeah, definitely. You're totally right that there's so many things that combine to add to the tension. It would be impressive enough if she was just on the front of the car the whole time. The fact that they're going legit more than eighty miles an hour in that car. Yeah, and I can't imagine. Like, I don't know if anybody who's driven like 85 miles an hour in a car, it feels pretty fast. Even as a driver, as a passenger, you can feel the speed of that car. Mm. If you stick your head out the window, that <laughs> feel like you're in a fucking rocket ship. Like, it is super duper fast. Imagine being on the front of the car at that speed. Mm. Oh, and as you said, Tim, the belts are detaching and you're getting less and less secure mm. on the front there. Oh, and another car is ramming that car as well. That's the bit that really gets me, is that it's a whole chase scene with the other car, like, slamming into the side of it. Yeah. Just doing that without the other car involved would be terrifying enough. But the fact that there is that other element, there's a whole other variable, and I know we've touched on this a couple of times, like, if something slightly goes wrong, it all goes horribly wrong. And that's so true with so many of these stunts, right? And I think bringing in that, a complete other element of danger of another car being involved just cranks it up from like a 10 to an 11 or a 500 out of 10. Like <laughs> it's this ridiculous thing of like, you didn't need to do that, but the fact that you didn't and Zoe Bell pulled it off and I'm glad like you rightly gave everybody credit there, Tim, with, through your research and Tarantino gave Zoe Bell credit there as well. As much as we don't necessarily agree with a lot of what Tarantino says, credit yeah. to him for putting the spotlight on Zoe Bell and, and yeah. you know letting her shine and do her thing and really kind of prove herself as this incredible performer and doing something like basically only she could have done because she's been doing this for so long and is just one of the absolute best unsung performers in cinema that just kind of been like eh, yeah you know it's xena's stunt double whatever let's not worry <laughs> about it and then she gets to do something like that and as you said so many people cite it as not only is it like very clearly the standout in that movie that's a okay, fine movie, whatever, but like it's a real all time nail biting scene, and that is just credit to her performance and her resilience as well, and the fact mm. that it was so edited and choreographed and brilliantly constructed. The staging is is so genius as well because you have the windscreen of the car essentially. S- fits perfectly in the cinema screen so you can have these shots where you have 
Kim driving and Rosario Dawson's character in the passenger seat reacting to what is happening and to being shoved around by this other car and stuff. Mm. And then you can see through the windscreen to Zoe Bell on the bonnet gripping on and you can get all of that simultaneously. And so you're feeling the motion because you're, you know, the car is sliding around and, and being jerked around and you're getting to see the reactions of all three simultaneously one who's trying to keep the car going straight, one who is trying to grip on for dear life, and one who is just along for the ride and therefore gets to have the most out there reactions because she's not got to worry about doing a job. She can just be like, what the fuck is happening? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I think it is uh, an incredible sequence. And, uh, and then you get to top it off with the great joke of her flying off and then just leaping out of the bushes at the end and going, I'm fine. Um Zoe the fucking cat. Yep. And then they and then they drive off and beat Kurt Russell to death. And it's great. And he cries about it the whole time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that brings us to the end of our highlighted stunt reel. I think we'll see if we can put together a little YouTube playlist perhaps of these uh stunt sequences or at least moments from them so people can check them out if they're not familiar or just want to remind yourself of how amazing these moments are they're definitely on there because i did my research of your guys picks before i <laughs> before we recorded i was like i'm sure i've se- i haven't watched mission impossible in a while like i need to go back on i haven't seen death proof in ages i need to go back and watch that and yeah went out of my way to go back and watch those moments be like, yeah oh yeah that is really good that is that deserves list, being like, mentioned right. Yeah, so we'll we'll stick that in the uh, in the show notes, and uh, if if you're listening on uh, on your app or on Patreon or whatever, uh, you can click through and watch those. And uh, yeah, how do they measure up? Are there ones we've missed out? I'm sure there are. Absolutely, um, yeah, I'm sure there are. Please do and, let us know on social media. We are yeah. sequelizers on all the different social media: Twitter, Instagram. If you still use Facebook for some reason, we're on there still. You can let us know your favorite stunts. If you like or disagree with any of our picks or anything like that, please do let us know. I am JLW Chambers on all the social media stuff. You can, of course, get the archive for all of the previous episodes, all of our live streams, all of our merch, the Discord, all that good stuff at sequelizers.com. That is the hub for sequelizers information on the internet. Matt, how can people find you on the internet? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You can go to the redrighthand.co.uk to read my reviews. You can go to cheesemint.com to see the things that I make. And you can also search for the BBG Wrestling channel, specifically Sumo Drop, to cope my coverage of Sumo Wrestling. Uh, Tim, if I wanted to go through a catalogue of your finest, most cunning stunts, where would I look for you? Look at me jump over to Twitter, where I am, <laughs> trivia underscore lad. Uh, that is the Fuck place me, that Tim. you can find me on the internet and uh, where I share anything interesting that I'm working on or just blather on about nonsense. Fair. Well, like I said, you can find us on all the usual social media places. If you would like to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers, as I touched on at the top of the show. If you can't support us, we totally understand. There is a lot of horrible shit going on in the world still. I know we've been saying this for like two and a half years, it feels like at this point, (laughs) but it's it's still true. you can support us without supporting us through money and stuff. If you go and rate us and subscribe to us on all the various podcast platforms, 
rating us on Spotify, rating us on Apple Podcasts, and giving us a review there really helps boost the show and basically bring up our visibility on those platforms and stuff like that. So we'd very much appreciate if you can give us a rating and a review there as well. We will be back next week with more interseason goodness. And I know I say this a lot. It is very, very different. But also not different, but very different. What well, Matt's shaking his head at me now, just like you oh, got me so, man, because it's different. Is ah, he's so right. <laughs> yeah, again, it's it's something we've never done before for in season stuff. It's it not is. an executive producer pick, and uh, yeah, we'll be diving into something that I think will be very, very interesting as a topic. We'll be coming up with some ideas. There you go. There's a little tease for you. Some little, some little mini pitches, maybe around a particular topic. Hmm. Actually, mine is many this time. Fewer than 5,000 words for Matthew Stockton. That's what that means. <laughs> it's a Christmas <laughs> miracle. <laughs> but yes, we'll be back next week with more in-season goodness. And like I said, something we've never done before. But until then, thank you very much for listening and have a lovely week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.